Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right, welcome everyone. We've got another very special guest today on the podcast, number 107, Kelly Mink and Kelly, how's it going? It's good, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Very uh, crazy time. You know, it's been a it's been a wild year. Let's uh, it's just kind of blown by. But tell me a little bit about your your COVID and, and what's going on. Where are you right now? Yeah, I'm actually living in Cyprus right now. Um, Landon, my boyfriend, is playing basketball out here. So the time difference is kind of interesting, especially with work, but it's nice. It's a nice change of pace. Um, you know, there's a lot less people here, but still, still COVID. And, and, uh, and when you, is it like, what is the actual lockdown? Is it, are you allowed to go outside or restaurants open or is it pretty much like stay at home and in order? Well, like, what's the landscape like where you are? Yeah. So there's only, so the hotspot cities are closed. They're shut down for like 30 days. Um, but we're not in one of those. So there's a curfew in place and I don't think there's like certain rules, but, um, for the most part we can come and go as we please, as long as you wear a mask. Okay. So all right, COVID's okay. You're where, you know, you're safe. You're, you're enjoying over there. How has it been otherwise though? Like, is it, is it what you thought? Have you been to Cyprus before? This is your first time and give me a little bit of a, like, what's it like in the city you're in? COVID yeah. This is, uh, yeah. This is, this is the first time I've been to Cyprus. Um, we're living in Nicosia, which is the capital. Um, and it's just really nice. It's a nice change of pace to be living in a different country. The unfortunate thing when I came out here, I thought I just assumed that I'd be able to play online, but it's actually banned here. Um, so we haven't really done much of any poker at all. Um, but it's still nice. It's nice to kind of take a little break. You know, I really was grinding the tournament circuits for years and that kind of dictated my lifestyle and, and my travel. So it's nice to settle in and, you know, live a more chill life. And yeah, I was, I was So you mentioned you're there, you're with your boyfriend, Landon Lucas, and there is a charity event, which we want, I wanted to cover, but since we're, we're on the, the subject, you're living there, you're with him. And, and could you tell us a little bit about what the charity is for? And I know I'm going to be taking part. I, I, I know it's a good cause. I know that you put your you know, word behind it and, and stamp on it. So that was enough for me, but um, you know, give me a little bit more information on what the, what it's doing. And, and let me just pull it up here. I think there's uh, it's going to be on Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern, I believe. I'm going to stream the event. It's going to be online. And uh, if you could maybe just yeah, tell us a little about what the foundation represents. Yeah. So um, first, when Landon and I met, one of the things that we bonded over was our passion of helping others. Um, you know, I've talked in previous interviews and podcasts about wanting to start my own foundation to help kids. Um, and I actually started that process in 2018 and it was just so much of an undertaking that I really never got through the process. Um, you know, I had the structure laid out and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it, but, you know, going through the process of setting up your own foundation is a lot of work. And so between working full-time as an attorney, being at home, having my own you know, company, being an entrepreneur, playing poker full time, I just couldn't handle it. So when I met Landon and I heard that, you know, he explained to me that he had started this foundation after college, I was like, wow, that's, 
really cool, you know, that you're doing something that I want to do. So, you know, this past year, I became a board member and I really started being like immersed in helping grow the foundation. You know, he started it in Kansas where he went to school and was helping kids locally there. And we're like, look, let's make this nationwide. So we're trying to have um, this fundraising event on Friday to help fund scholarships for kids across the nation to participate in sports when they can't afford it. So we're really excited, especially in a time now and during the pandemic where, you know, a lot of kids need an outlet for um, not being able to be social, not being able to be at school and really not having the option to have activities. Um, So we've partnered with a few different companies. We've had the ability to offer virtual sports camps for kids if they don't have the ability to play in person. So we've kind of adjusted based on the pandemic that we're currently in. And yeah, no, it's, it's, it sounds really, really nice. And, and what is, what has been some of the biggest, it's a zero to a hundred challenge. What is, what does the 100 represent in it? Yeah. So we wanted to be ambitious and we set this goal to raise a hundred thousand dollars and a hundred thousand dollars was going to go towards funding these scholarships to help as many kids as we could participate in sports and sports could range from anything. We've had kids in archery, we've had kids do dance. So um, we really wanted to, to shoot for the moon here. And initially what we were planning on doing was starting like a social media challenge where, you know, we'd make viral videos and we'd like challenge people to donate. But that was extremely difficult given that, you know, it was hard to do a fundraiser with the pandemic given that people can't really gather in person. And we were really struggling to find an outlet to kind of bring everyone together to have a fundraiser. And I ended up finding this company, Poker for Life, that we have partnered with for this event through a separate charity event that I participated in. Um, It was actually for my niece's school. And so they put on this poker casino night where you'd play an online tournament. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really, really fun. Like when I participated in this, I'm like, we got to do this. So it's really interactive more than you know, just the thought of playing online poker, you don't think of seeing people's faces, but what they do, they have these breakout rooms on Zoom. So you're actually interacting with your table. And so I just thought it was a great way to kind of bring Landon and I's passion with poker together with the foundation and find a way to raise money for a great cause. That's awesome. I, I have a few questions about the the charity aspect and, and building that because I know uh, I have I have friends that have done it and and been a part of it and it, it is a lot, right? Like you was like, oh, let's do a charity, let's raise some money, but they're you know you got the website, you got to find sponsors, you got to get peep the word out. Uh, it does take a lot of work, so I do want to hear uh, a bit about that. And just quickly for w- with the process for streaming, on, are you going to stream it? I, I guess it's a live. It's on. Line. I was playing a streaming on Twitch, but is that something where you're saying at the table, are we kind of all talking like on a Zoom or is that something that would work to stream and you're showing the cards? How does that work? And what do you think would be the best thing to do for that in terms of yeah. uh, streaming? So you, you have the choice of being on Zoom, so it's not a requirement, but it does make it more fun and interactive. Mm-hmm. So you have the option to either Zoom with your table and go in the breakout room or you can Zoom in like a general room and you can kind of just like, have fun and interact with the, with the other attendees. Um, So, 
you know, I thought it would be a great way for you to stream the event and, you know, kind of bring your viewers to the event and kind of bring awareness to what we're all about. But from a technical standpoint, like, as you know, I tried streaming poker playing earlier this year yeah. And that was like way, I was way out of my league. It was, it's so much work, kind of like the foundation. You don't realize how yeah. much it really takes to not only be successful, but there's so many different aspects of it that to me, you know, you're either built for it or you're not. And mm-hmm. I learned that I, I'm like, I'm going to give it a hundred percent effort. And that's kind of what I went into the, um, the thirst lounge you know it was like this is kind of an exciting opportunity something totally out of my element and I'm gonna give it a shot and I really didn't think I gave it like a fair 100% effort so I wanted to try to do that on my own and it was just so much work I was like this well that that's a, that's interesting it's an interesting point because I, that sort of does tie into my question and, and I think that's exactly like you don't know what you don't know so you know like I said like when you talk about streaming people that want to do it, even if you, let's say you are built for it still, it's like, it takes, you know, it can take years of a foundation to like really get, get sorted out, to understand it, to build a community to, you know, it takes time to, to do it. And I would, and again, with the charity, it's like, if someone at home's like, Oh, that's cool. You put up, you, you're involved in doing a charity. You know, it's not just like a weekend thing or you flick it together. Like, obviously there's so much stuff like you're, that's what I kind of want to ask you behind the scenes. I want to get back to the, the streaming aspect in your experience, but yeah, tell me a little bit about that and how tedious and how much really work it goes in, you know, like to it. Cause like the, how many people are involved? How many, I don't know, I, I would not even call it employees, volunteers, or you know, what are the moving parts? People, you have to get the website, you got to, you know, coordinate and, and get people. So tell me a little bit about your experience and how, how much work does go into the actual charity building side of it to, to make this thing happen. Now, give me some, some of the, the, the pains of it, but also the, the reward of it. So yeah, maybe if you could elaborate a bit on that and then we'll get back to the streaming. So I, I want to hear about both. And I imagine it's very similar in the amount of work and grinding to, to get it off the ground. For sure. Yeah. So that I, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I've learned so much just by being a significant role player in the foundation that it's really a full-time job you know you hear about people who work for nonprofits, and you're like well if it's a nonprofit, why are you getting paid I completely understand why people get paid we're small small foundation so we can't afford to pay ourselves you know so every hour every minute all the work that we put in is on our own time for you know we're not getting compensated whatsoever the compensation for us is the benefit that we give to others and to me it's worth it but it is so much work and you're right there's so much behind the scenes between not only putting together the event but also coming up with the event um especially in a time like this where you know people don't really have extra money to be donating to any cause, let alone a cause that, you know, is up and coming. Um, And so it took kind of, you know, luck. Landon and I are fortunate enough to have a following where we can kind of tap into that and say, hey, you know, I support this and you support me. So can you support our cause? And I think that's really given us kind of a leg up as opposed to just some, you know, lay person who doesn't have a following and wants to start a charity. It's extremely, extremely difficult. So to see like how many people have supported us like you and, you know, are willing to uh, offer their time to, to promote the event and to play and to bring awareness to our causes is really exceptional. So it makes me feel 
Like I feel the love of my community in the poker world. And I know Landon does and, you know, the sports world and the, his Kansas alum. So it's nice to be able to bring everyone together to kind of give back to this cause that we're so passionate about. Yeah. And I think uh, this, this, well, you mentioned having a following, having some people that, you know, you can reach out and have a, have a platform to some degree is like, I think it's very similar to streaming too. You know, someone like yourself or myself, when I start streaming on Twitch, it's nice. Cause I mean, I've been in poker for, I started in 2015 on Twitch, but you know, I'd been in poker a long time. I'd been fairly active in social media. So it's nice to have like a, some sort of a core base to start. Cause you know, I have uh, people ask me all the time and I, I have a guy actually just reached out to me and he just was starting on Twitch and it's tough. Like you to start with basically, from scratch, you know, you go live and you know, maybe I, I want to ask on your experience with this, with Thirst Lounge and then kind of streaming a bit on your own, uh, what that was like on the very initial, because it's like kind of awkward, right? You go live, you're like, all right, I'm here. You send out a tweet. You know, some people look at it. Some people don't. Some people don't know what Twitch is. And then all of a sudden you're like playing some tournaments and you get 5, 10, 20, 30 people in there. And, you know, it's kind of like, okay, hello. And it's like a little awkward because you're like talking for hours, but not really to anyone and you're on delay. Um, and, and it's kind of like a bizarre uh, little world to, to get used to. And it's not for everybody. And it also, um, yeah, it's, it's like if you want to really see results, it's like not just you can't just pop in for a day, twice a week. You got to kind of really put in that 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 scheduled grind. So, you know, tell me a bit about Thirst Lounge and then also personally what you, you thought of uh, – so far with streaming and your experience and, and what was some of the challenges and things you liked and didn't like? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with thirst launch because that's kind of where I even considered endeavoring into this world. Once I kind of gained some traction with, you know, my notoriety and poker, when I had some tournament results, I had a lot of people say, you should vlog, you should, you know, stream, you should do this. And I, it wasn't even a concept to me at the time, you know, like I kind of stumbled upon poker randomly. I was never like a poker fan. I never watched TV, uh, you know, with poker shows. I didn't know any of the, the big names. Um, you know, I kind of just was like in law school. I started going to the casino cause I was bored. And then I realized like, I could be successful at this. And so then my competitive nature drove me to continue pursuing poker. So going from that to then having people say, oh, you know, you should do this and you should do that. It wasn't something I even knew existed. So, you know, I never considered it that avenue until, you know, I saw Bill Perkins post this tweet that was like, hey, I'm running this, you know, contest to bring 10 people together to stream. I'm like, maybe this is my opportunity to try it because then I don't have to, I don't know what I'm doing. I have someone who's going to do the whole production side who I feel like I can trust and it could be fun experience. So I kind of went into it with a positive mindset, knowing it would be a challenge and figuring well, there's only one way to find out if I'm going to like this and this is the way. So, um, you know, right just prior to to um, Bill's tweet, I had made the decision to quit my job as a lawyer full time and really seriously pursue poker. So um, at that time from 2015 to the end of 2018, I was working full time. So I would go to a tournament. I'd travel. I'd literally have a bag packed with my work clothes. I'd fly into the airport. I'd change at the airport. I'd go to work like I was working nonstop. And I kind of liked that 
I, you know, I was single. I, I had the opportunity to, you know, I could pay my bills and, you know, I was like, I'm young. Why don't I do this while I can? And then it got to the point where it's like, okay, you have to make a decision now. So I, I wanted to give poker an honest shot and kind of pursue everything I could and see how I felt about it. So that was one of the things was the Thirst Lounge. And I got accepted and I went out to, um, you know, the Virgin Islands and, and, and streamed poker. And it was just a totally different world than I'd ever experienced, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say looking back on it, it was extremely challenging you know, there was a lot of challenges we faced between like internet connection and bankroll and, you know, learning. And I, I never even played online really before. So not only was I learning to play online, I had to learn how to stream, interact with people, write in the chat, do, the, you know, all the, the social media posts, which I wasn't into that. It's so much work. It's crazy. So you, don't have like a, you need a team. You need to have, because my biggest thing about Twitch too, is like, all right, you stream. If you go live, first of all, it's different because you're, you're, fo- you're giving up some of your focus on the tables. Like if you have two, four, six tables and now you're streaming, like the streaming, I, I don't know what it equates to, but it's got to be like four tables maybe, uh, depending on how active your chat is or like how many people are there, right? So you got you to gotta pay attention, hold a conversation, focus on the game, focus on another game. It's pretty difficult. But, you know, then it's like, yeah, you got clips. So it's like if something good happens, like you don't want to stream and go back and search for clips. You need to have a moderator. You have someone that's like getting the stuff. And then you ideally would have someone just push it out on your social, on Twitter, whatever. But like to do all that, it takes a lot of work. You know, if you're like, oh, I got to get the clips. I got to go back. I got to watch it. Then there's like giveaways. You got to like get in contact with the person back and forth and then do this. And it just it, it becomes kind of tedious and overwhelming if you don't have a really good system and it's complicated you know it's hard to find people and that you trust and that like have access to your stuff do you want to give someone your twitter do you want to have someone working for you know it's like there's all these different things that go into it and it just it is it's a bit overwhelming like then you got to get the equipment and the traveling to me that's the toughest part like when you like you said you were flying in virgin islands or you go to the other spot it's so annoying to set your stuff up you got to like take your laptop out is the internet connection good enough to support twitch you have a portable mic you have a portable this you got to have a second monitor you hook up all the wires then the thing drops and i'm sure you down in the virgin islands there was internet issues right or like you guys would try to go to the boat and it was like because when you when i remember the whole concept jamie staples and i we were with bill he came to run up reno we were talking we we're like man and we started came up with this idea and bill's like you know i don't really want to stream as much but I have this channel. I want to build something. It's like, maybe I'll have some person. I was like, why don't you make it the Thirst Lounge 10 or like get a group because, you know, it's too much to have someone streaming all the time or, you know, it would, the idea would be having like 24 hour, but then you get into like where people live, what's up in the, in the Virgin Islands, where can you actually stream and what part of Virgin Island, the internet's not really good. And you, you know, the, it just, it's so much moving parts. And then who gets to stream what hours? There's only so many qual- like, you know, core hours in a day. So there's just like a lot of troubleshooting and, and what you can imagine to do your own Twitch, to do it with like a group. Um, you know, again, I was sort of at the beginning helping we, Jamie and I helped sort of uh, pick the, the, the people to, to kind of come in and how, and try it. And it just, it's a lot of work. And I just, like I can imagine there was probably a lot of uh, within the, the, when you're there too, you know, who talking about who you got a lot of bigger personalities, Ebony Kenny. Uh, I don't know who on the show you got along with a lot or who you kind of maybe tussle. It's almost like a reality show too, right? You got like John Party, Matt Forsyth, these other guys there. 
and everyone kind of has their own vision and things. And then it just, it's, it, it had to be kind of interesting. Like in, in reality, I think it should have been almost like a reality show, like watching the whole thing all the time. And it just, it just seems like a lot. So I would love to know some of the, you know, what to kind of see some of the, the dynamics and what all happened behind the scenes. Cause I'm sure there was a lot of, uh, you know, drama at times and also fun parts and some annoying parts. And, um, you know, I, I don't, is there any, is there any like standout sort of, uh, moments that were either really nice or really annoying that, that you could share from that experience or something yeah. you just didn't expect that you were like, Oh, this is like, you know, I thought I was going to live in like, uh, like on a boat. Cause you know, the thing is too, it's like, it's cool. Bill's guys boat, go out and stream, but it's not like everyone just goes out there and sets up on a corner and you're riding around a boat, like the internet on the boat barely works. You have to go to like a spot, right? You have to like get to a point and then only maybe one person could stream there. And so like, there's a lot of, uh, a lot. I, listen, I've done it. I've been there. I've done it a couple of times and it's been frustrating as well. Like when the net cuts out and you know, all that. So yeah, give me some, some of that for, uh, for you, what that was like. Yeah, it was, well, there were a couple things. One, you know, I am used to playing, you know, bigger buy-ins live. So for me to adjust and like be expected to play like a $20 tournament was extremely like mentally mm. was extremely difficult for me to like enter a $30 tournament and expect to like be hyper focused. I was just like, I can't take the, I'm not, I haven't been trained enough to like be able to do this. I immediately just wanted to play $500 tournaments on a 10 K bankroll. And it just, you know, and then the, everyone else who was there had come from a completely different background. So I had a lot of people who were grinding like one cent, two cent online for like two years. I, I don't even know what that Looks yeah, yeah. yeah, it's hard to calibrate. Yeah. Um, so, so that was kind of interesting. And I think that, you know, I really got along with pretty much everyone. There was a couple of people who I didn't really see because um, we like missed each other. I know Ebony, Ebony, I know outside of the Thirst Lounge, but mm-hmm. she was never there when I was there. And um, Voice Love was the other one who I never really saw. But everyone else who was there, I got along with, you know, I made some really good friends. And there was some drama, um, but like pretty much what you would expect. I, I definitely thought that we missed an opportunity to make something more of like a, you know, reality show. Like if someone was there filming us 24 hours, you know, once we got there, I know that, you know, I know how much money and effort and production and everything that Bill put into it. And even then, so we were so ill-equipped to do what we wanted to do. There just wasn't enough man power to make it happen the way we all envisioned it right Um, and some of this stuff was out of our control like the internet we had so many internet issues there would be days where we couldn't even stream because we didn't have internet and then like you said if you're not consistent you lose the fan base because they're like well whatever i'm not you know you say you tune in at 11 a.m and you're not there at 11 you know 11 30 and then 12 and then you're there the next day people just give up on you right yeah, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of great streamers. There's a lot of great content options, and it, it is it's hard if you're not just automatically consistent. It, it is very difficult. I got real quick. There's someone in the chat here who said they've been waiting since 10:30. And and Krishna, he's <laughs> from India. He wants a shout out, Kelly. He'd love to just say hello. He's right here. Um, she's he's saying I wish he could just say hi. So I, maybe Kelly will say hi. Krishna from India. Hi. I I, I hope you have a, a great night. I know you're more on my time schedule than than jeff so i'm glad you uh popped in and hung out with us and you know come hang out 
Wow. There you go. Look at that. That's, that's a very nice, very nice shout out Krishna. So there you got it, Kelly. She she says hello and I hope you have a great day. All right. Well, so the, the thirst lounge, so you did the streaming stuff and then what about your own streaming? So did, were you, how did that work? Were you on doing part of the, like the, the, the thirst lounge time slots? And then were you streaming, you know, how much did you actually stream? How many hours or days a week? What was your streaming sort of when at your peak times, what were you doing? You're saying like, the, like the, um, Cause you had your own channel too, right? You did start your own as well. Like to sort of so, on the side. Yeah. So I was, I was, uh, you know, I was, I streamed maybe only five or six times while I was on the thirst launch. I didn't stream very often. And then, um, you know, I had some issues or I guess some people on the, the team had some issues with me, like not streaming enough or, you know, there's always like, this power play on like who was going to stream on Saturday and like who was going to stream at the optimal times. And I didn't really care that much. So I was just like, kind of didn't really put my hat in the ring, so to speak. So I kind of like fell to the wayside and I was just like, whenever you guys want me to stream, just let me know. And, you know, like it was more important to a lot of the other people than it was to me. And I think that discrepancy like made other people feel like I just didn't care. I was just there to like have a vacation, which wasn't necessarily untrue, but I didn't want to take away from the people who really were like hungry for it. You know, like I knew that this wasn't going to make or break me playing as being a poker player. I just was doing it for the experience. And like nobody else's mindset was like that. They were like, we want to become great poker players. You know, like this is our chance to like make it big and like be a streamer. And that was like completely foreign to me. So kind of at the end of, um, you know, spring, you know, I was planning, you know, I had told the team and I told Bill, I'm like, well, once the World Series comes, I'm not streaming. I'm going to be playing live every single day. But as soon as I'm done with that, like I'm 100 percent, you know, I'll come back to the Virgin Islands. I'll stream. I'll do this. I'll do that. And they're like, no, nah, <laughs> we're going to just do go on without you. So yeah. I was like, All right, well, no hard feelings, you know, and, and I, I think it kind of like fell apart after that. I, whether it had anything to do with me, I, I have no idea. I think it was a combination of things, but yeah. I, I never really felt like I got the opportunity to like really give it a sh- chance. So, you know, once that opportunity kind of passed and I like got my feet a little bit wet, I'm like, okay, let me give this an honest shot. And honestly, I really only started streaming because Landon, once we became, once we started quarantine, he's like, let's go to Mexico and stream. And I'm like, seriously so (laughs) he was like really adamant we did this so we bought all the equipment we went to Mexico we you know started streaming and you know right away I had a really a pretty decent following I didn't know what was decent but like immediately I had like 100 people viewers you know on my first stream or like 200 viewers it started dropping a little bit but there were people who wanted to see me. So that kind of motivated me. I'm like, okay, let me try. And, you know, I started getting kind of stressed out because I wanted to like have a schedule, but like, I didn't know what the schedule should look like. Like I never played online and then I would be playing online. I didn't know how to like manage my bankroll. Like what is a bankroll? I don't know. Right. 
Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of hard to play the online and in this, like you were mentioning, $200, $500 tournaments, you're playing 10Ks live, 3,500s, WPTs, WSOPs, but online, you know, the conversion, uh, how it works and like what what skill levels and stakes, it's different too, but it's also like kind of not so exciting. You're like, oh, it's a three, you know, I would, you would like never play a 500 live probably or, or barely. And then like online, that's like a high stakes online tournament kind of, or like a higher, higher stake one. So it's a little, a little bit different uh, calibration. You said you went with who you moved that you moved actually to Mexico. With, I didn't hear yeah, you said we, we, a friend of ours had a um, timeshare out there that they let us use. So we were down there for a few months, like streaming and kind of hunkered down during COVID. Um, and so I really was taking it seriously. I was streaming like every day, you know, and then I got kind of burnt out because I mm-hmm. wanted to, consistent i wanted you know i didn't have anything else really to do so i was like okay i'm gonna stream every day i'm gonna do giveaways i'm gonna do this i'm gonna interact with this thing i'm gonna have the green screen i'm gonna wear a wig and it was just like so much <laughs> like i don't know how you do it and i really you know it's like once you start to there's this pressure of like all these people are following you and they like want to see what you're doing and they want to you know, there you like build up this persona and it's like the longer you are in it, the harder it is to walk away from it. Right. And yeah. realizing that kind of made me real like like yeah. you know, if you decided one day you're like, I don't want to stream anymore, you can't really just decide like there's people waiting on you to stream. Right. Yeah. You no, have it is kind of following so it's, it's kind it's, of wild like i because i have a my son's 19 months old now you know i'm married that's the thing like some of these guys are in their young 20s they're single or they're just now getting kind of girlfriends relationships a lot of like these streamers but i'm watching it too as you know, some of the bigger bigger poker streamers that have been around now for five years or so start getting married they start getting engaged they start getting serious you know and i just see it and it's like you see these guys like really putting in a grind but it's different. It's hard too when you have a personal life, when you have family. You know, you start looking at other things you want to do, and and yeah, it's you, for me. It's hard because I, I stream much less than I used to. I used to be pretty consistent, and you know, I do it a lot less. And it is, it's uh, it is tricky, right? Because you kind of feel like you're halfway in, halfway out. You're like, all right, I'm kind of streaming, but I'm kind of doing everything else. And then everything's just kind of like, you're not just going uh, full force, but no, it's great. I think, I mean, is it safe to say you're happy you did it or you, or at least you did the thirst lounge and you, and you have a channel. Cause if you want to stream this charity event or if you want to, you know, stream randomly, it's kind of fun. If you're going to play online one or two table, a big event, you could fire up a stream and connect and do it. But you don't, you know, you don't have to do it all the time. Is that, is it kind of less pressure? Just know you have it, know you know how to do it and you can just turn it on if you want to once in a while, instead of like, all right, I'm going to go for it and be like a, a full-time streamer? Do you, is that kind of more fun to you? Or do you think you just won't stream ever again? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not like against streaming. I think it's fun. I think it's a really unique way to interact with people and interact with people you wouldn't normally. Cause like you said, like there's a chat and it's like your family chat. Like they're all there supporting you and cheering you on and like asking you questions. They like, want to know what music you like. And it's, it gets really intimate. Like you get connected to these people. And like, I found myself, you know, the people that would come on every day, like I recognize them and like, you know, then they'd write me on Instagram. It's like, Oh, I know that's like my friend, you know? So it, it, it's a significant time investment. And it's like, you know, I, I really, what you said really resonates with me because I'm not, you know, in my twenties anymore. And I'm thinking, you know, as I see myself building this, I'm like, well, where am I going with this? You know, like, 
do I really see myself? Let's say the best possible scenario happens and I get like a thousand viewers every time I stream. Well, then where do I go from there? Do I want to build it? Because then that's even, I'm immersing myself even more in this lifestyle where it's like, mm, I kind of made a decision. Like, it's not that I hate streaming. It's just this lifestyle isn't for me. It's too intense. And it's way too, like, like I, when I would stop streaming, I was like exhausted because it's so much like to play poker focus with six tables to talk, to like, make yourself like look good to like follow the clips to make sure this, that you're like making the right decisions in poker. I'm just like, I'm burnt out. <laughs> yeah. No, and yeah. you see it a lot. A lot of a lot of Twitch streamers burn out or or you know get tired and it it is also like one of the advantages I like about how I do it is like I, I don't I go kind of I'll do like a week or two maybe and I stream a decent amount and then take a break because I never really feel burnt out. And there was a period where I felt that. And you know, I've you've seen some of the bigger Nate, like you know, Tonka, Jason Somerville, even like Lex, some of these other guys. It's very grueling to sit 12 hours a day, 10 hours a day, talk all day long, play, take it in the face. You know, we all know tournament poker variants and you know, play a lot of collisions, a lot of all wins. Like it's not fun if you're running bad and you're on there and you're just sitting there eating it for like hours, smiling, like, oh, like I'm trying to tilt throw shit when I'm just like losing every, you know, cooler and, and whatever. Uh, it, it can be, it can definitely be um, uh, mentally draining and, and whatnot. But um, no, I think it's amazing. I, I love that you, you've uh, dove in, you at least, you know, you've set it up, you've, you've done it. And if you want to do it at any point, you can, uh, you can turn it on. I do want to segue because we have a lot to cover. And also we do want to, I want to make sure we, there's a lot, a lot of questions on Twitter, guys, you can get it out. We got $111 ticket retweet interact. It's on the pin tweet. I think Kelly retweeted as well. So if you guys want to go there and check that out, we're going to give away $111 ticket to somebody. So go ahead, get your question in. Uh, and let, let's talk a little bit about live poker, because this is sort of uh, your bread and butter. Again, Twitch and whatever's experiment, you, you're trying it, but live poker, you've got 1.5 million plus uh, for a casual, right? You're not you're not full time. You haven't done it that long. Uh, some really good results, consistent, good, big six figure scores. And your first ever Hendon Mob, of course, everyone on the show, I think every poker player at least has been on my show, final table, their first event, of course, or else, you know, if you don't, maybe people just get out of it right away. But how does this happen? Not only final table, but a second, 150K, quite a start to the to the resume. Uh, tell me a little bit about this and, and how that happened. Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, I love telling this story because it's such a unique experience for me. And it changed, really changed my life because without that score, I don't think I would have ever been like, yeah, let's play tournament poker. You know, like I said before, I started playing poker in law school and, you know, I'd go to school and I'd just be bored. So I'd go to the casino and play cash. And I started playing, you know, three, six limit with 30, you know, 30 to $60 and kind of just wanted to learn how to play poker. I didn't know what I was doing. So I moved from three, six to four, eight, which I thought was crazy. You know, there's $16 bets. It's like, Oh, you know, this is getting scary. Um, and then finally I felt comfortable enough. Well, not, not only comfortable, but also like I felt once I understood the game, I felt like I could be a better player and no limit, true, no limit. Um, so I, I moved to one, two, and I played that for about a year to two years. And then I moved to, um, two, five and I only played two, five for about six, maybe six months until this tournament. And 
the whole reason that I played this tournament was because my dad, one of the reasons why, you know, I, I learned to play poker with my family. My brother and my dad lived in California. And when I'd go and visit them, they would have like the neighbors over and we'd play these like $20 tournaments. And I just loved the aspect of, you know, the social aspect of the game, the competitive nature of the game. Like even with friends and family, I just liked that whole vibe so um you know once my dad realized I was playing poker he really wanted to come and watch me play and I was like I call my dad pop and I was like pop you can't just come to the casino and like sit by me that's weird so he'd always ask me when when you know when can I come see you and I just never told him when I go to the casino so I guess he must have looked up online that there was this Arizona State Championship and he's like will you please play this tournament so I can come watch you so I'm like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll play the tournament. So I played the tournament and I remember like, you know, it started at 9 a.m., which I thought was insane. I get there like on time. My dad's there. He had like got me breakfast and like put it on my table and like wow. literally swept me from hand one. Wow. So he was there the entire, it was like a three or four day tournament and he swept I, me the entire time. I've been to this, this casino a few times visiting Mike out there in Arizona. And I know he'll play there sometimes and the games are pretty good. And I've heard this tournament is ridiculously good. Like I've just heard, this is like a, a an awesome tournament to play uh, for over the years. And, and, and tell me a little bit about it. 1k buy-in is a re-entry 1300 entries. Is it, is it a freeze out or a rebuy? It's a rebuy. And, you know, over the years, I think the popularity has grown so significantly that, you know, there comes a point where they're at capacity and then they sell out. So that's kind of become an issue because, you know, the room only holds so many people. Um, so there's typically alternates. It gets kind of messy. Um, I think that, you know, distracts from the, 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 um, you know, value in the tournament, because I think there's a ton of people who don't know how to play tournament poker. I was one of them. And um, just a lot of people who want to play for fun or play for the glory of being state champion. So yeah, I would, I would recommend it. The, the structure isn't great. I didn't know anything about structure at the time. So, but now that I'm, you know, more, well-versed in, in what a good structure is. I'm like, this is absurd. Why do we start with 16,000 chips? And like, what are these levels? You know, you, you end day, day one with like average of 25 big blinds. So it's kind of a crapshoot at the end. And, you know, I can speak to the six figure score I had then that you just really have to have the cards kind of go your way. You have to win all ins and it's pretty, it's pretty crazy though. So you, did you always, did you get off to a really fast start? Did you bag chip leads? Like how many days did the tournament take? I think it was three days. So you play day one, there's multiple day ones and you consolidate on day two. And then you play down to like the final 15 or whatever. Um, and honestly, there weren't really that, I think on the end of day two, this guy, you know, we're both, had a ton of chips and he way overplayed his hand. He had tripped aces and I had like a boat and he just was like betting into me. Like, and he had no concept of like the size of the pot or like how about his, the value of his chips. He's just like sees that he has three aces and is just blindly betting. And, you know, I'm t t in position. I have like the nuts and I'm just calling. So I really take zero skill. I just got in a really fortunate spot. And then I had like a ton of chips. 
So I kind of like it. ace 10 or ace jack or something on like ace, ace, yeah. 10 or jack. And he just like was had a weaker eight. Like he literally was drawing dead or did he have a bigger, did he have ace queen or king and could have won or no. was he just like dead, like ace five. Right. Just, was just drawing. Wow. wow. So That's yeah, it was a gift. It was, it was such a gift. And, you know, I got to the final table and I remember thinking like, Oh my God, this is so much money. Like I, I had a hundred percent of myself cause I didn't know. I didn't know people sold. I didn't know anything about tournaments, you know? Yeah. So I, was like, oh my God, like, you know, fifth place is like 20 to some thousand. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm just, I'm so grateful that I'm here. I remember thinking like, I'm so great. I Phil Hellmuth also was the MC. So like he was there and my dad were from Wisconsin. So like they, they're, he, you know, they're all excited. They're talking to him and, um, you know, they're like, this is my family. Just seeing how excited my family was that like I was in this spot and then essentially when I was on the table with Joe, who ended up winning, I didn't know who he was obviously at the time, but he's like an exceptional tournament player. He did all the heavy lifting. He like knocked everyone out of the final table, literally like six of the nine total he busted. Joe, Joe Cuther. Yeah. Joe, yeah. Joe. Cuther. So he, he just like knocks everyone out and I'm just sitting there like, not even playing hands. They jumped like, okay, here's another 20, here's another 30. What was your dad thinking around this time? Because, like, that's pretty amazing. He was there from the start. You're on time, 9 a.m., which is a red- – I've never even heard of a start time like that. That's hilarious. But uh, so you get there, you roll, and now you're at the final table. Was he, like, freaking out? Was he calm? Like, what was the experience like for him? It must have been a dream for you. Like, this is like – you just – you could never expect that, right? Like you said, it's sort of a crapshoot. You're not a tournament player at the time. You're playing cash. You come into a thing, and here you are, 1,300 people, and you're at the final table with a lot of chips i mean that must have been kind of kind of surreal experience it was it was so weird you know like I, before i like i batted an eye and you know I'm, and there's three three of us left and i didn't have a lot of chips the other two one of the the guy who got ended up getting third dan he i played cash with and he was like an exceptional poker player like i i had a ton of respect for him i'm like he's a he's just good and you can tell he's sharp so I'm like, well, I'm just happy. I just like conceded to third. I was like, I'm just so happy and grateful I got here. You know, I'm just going to get it in good. So, you know, somehow Joe has aces versus his ace king and busts him. Wow. And I'm heads up with Joe. And I was like, what? How the- big, a, how big, a, was it something like almost ridiculous too? Or you, what'd you have like eight or 10 or 15 blinds and they had like 80, like 60 and 40 or something like that? Was it like. So I think it was like, you know, maybe I had 12 blinds. I didn't know blinds at the time. So this is like complete estimation. I just right. knew how many chips I had, which is yeah. so insane. No, yeah, yeah, like that's how it works, right? Yeah. 12 it's- blinds. And then Joe has like 60. He had like a six or seven and one chip lead when we got heads up. So I was just like, you know, I'm going to play the best I can. There's really no pressure at all because I pretty much am going to get second. Did you know, did you know Joe at the time? Cause I mean, just took a quick look here at his, I mean, he's, he's obviously, he's a grinder. He plays everything world-class player million, you know, he's got, he's, he's a, he literally is a, just one of the sick grinders that goes and hits every stop. I and mean, look at his hand. Oh, I'm not showing it, but here's his hand and mob. I mean, he, you know, he hits, he plays a lot of poker. Did you, did you look up? Did you even know hand and mob? Did you know who Joe was? Or when you were playing, were you just like, all right, this guy's obviously good, but I don't know who he is. So while at the end of day two, he was at my table, like, and like I said, Phil Helmuth was emceeing and he kind of outed him and was like, this is Joe Cuther. Like he's one of the best tournament poker players ever. So once I heard his name and I went home that night, like I Googled him 
So I knew a little bit, but I had never heard of him before. Like I said, I didn't follow poker as a cash game player. Like I didn't know anyone on the tournament circuit. Um, so I did a little research prior and I was a little intimidated, but at the same time, I'm like, it is what it is. I'll play how I know how to play. And, you know, I ended up getting it in. I think I had a six versus his ace queen on the turn. I had two pair and he rivered. He, he like counterfeit me on the river to win, but like I had actually chipped up. And if I would have won that hand, I would have had a chip, the chip lead. So it was cool to be able to like battle with him. And, you know, we kind of, we kind of had this long standing joke on about it, you know, ever since. So we've kind of become friendly. Did you guys, did you guys talk, uh, was there any talk of a deal or, or at that point he had such a chip lead? And I mean, he, in his mind, you've never, you didn't know what big blinds are, right? Like you're a tournament, cannot a tournament player. He does this for a living. Was there any like discussion on it or did just you guys, the guy got knocked out and the game just went on and that was it? There was no discussion. I didn't know deals were made. So I wouldn't have even known to talk. If he would have said, oh, you want to make a deal? I wouldn't have known what he meant. Right. So. It never crossed my mind. Obviously, looking back, he would have never asked me to do a deal. I never, I mean, there was no reason to. So, right. him and but, may have done something, but I, I'm not sure. Right. And so, he, so you end up, though, getting knocked out second and you get paid 150000 What's the first, first thought there in your mind? Like, you're like, are you, are you now officially a tournament professional grinder? Cause I know, you know, we'll, we'll cover kind of how your career went from there, but like, what was your dad saying? Cause like in his wildest dreams, he's probably like, Oh, this is fun. I'll encourage Kelly to go. We can bond a bit, hang out. She'll play. It's fun. And maybe she'll get a deep run. But like now he's probably almost like, wait, maybe I created a monster. Like what, you know, what's going on here? Like maybe she just hit six figure score and now she might be, uh, you know, moving more full time in this. What was, uh, what was sort of that interaction like after you won or well, won second place? Yeah, well, he he loved it. He was like asking me if I, I was still in law school, so he was asking me if I was going to quit school and like become a full time poker player. I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not going to quit school. I have like a head on my, head on my shoulders. Yeah. Um, and so you know, I really saw it as an opportunity to like have money to invest. You know, I didn't see like, oh, I'm going to become a tournament poker player. I didn't even really think of playing tournaments after that. I was more so like I immediately got a financial advisor. I tried to like, you know, put my money into like some stocks and, you know, like I bought a house and I didn't really put it towards a bankroll. I I put some, but not most of it. I I invested. Um, And that just that's more so my style, you know, like I'm not like, okay, let's leave everything. I'm, I'm pretty, you know, stable when it comes to decision-making. So, you know, I, I finished school. I still took the bar. I, I started working, you know, after all of this success. So, um, you know, I just, I was just grateful to be able to like come, I saw it as like kind of hitting the lottery, you know, like I didn't, see it as like ROI or, you know, this means I'm a tournament player. But a lot of the people I played cash with were like, this is an opportunity for you to, um, you know, start traveling and playing and playing tournament poker. Cause as I had played in cash in the bigger games, I had often heard your style would be really good for tournament poker. And I really didn't understand what that meant. And then once I started playing tournaments, I understood why, because I have this like, fearless aggression where it puts people in extremely hard decisions, especially when you can't put more money on the table. 
Right. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. And so would you say that you're, you focus, like, did you, did you jump up stakes then in cash right away? Were you, uh, were you looking on the tournament schedules? Like, all right, where can I go next? Or, or what, what sort of happened right after that score what, in terms of your poker uh, trajectory? So for cash, there actually wasn't the ability to move up in stakes in Arizona because two five was like the biggest game that ran at the time. Right. Um, and more so than jumping up stakes, I really wanted to, you know, I had, I had a lot of people encouraging me to play more tournaments and I was told by a few different people that I should be playing like the WSOP circuit. So I, I, the first thing I did was there was a, a WSOP stop at like in, in Louisiana that I went, you know, we went to with a couple of the grinders from talking stick and, we played like the $365 tournaments and stuff. And I, I, I kind of just learned that way. I, I played a few different WSOP stops. And um, so it was still smaller buy-ins, which I, I was comfortable in like the three, I never felt like, Oh, I'm going to go play thousand dollar tournaments. I, I was playing like 100 to $500 buy-ins for a little while. And, and what, what about, what about uh, the WSOP, uh, the main, which you've had, I think the last woman standing twice, correct me if I'm mistaken, which is, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's uh, I think top 50 finishes in both, but we'll take a look at that. What was the uh, first big buy-in? Like, let's say a 5k, um, you know, I see you played the circuit event in 2014. Doesn't look like you went to the world series the following year, or at least didn't cash. Uh, but you weren't, you weren't really playing a bunch of those, but then in 15 do see a bunch of caches, including, the uh deep run of 29th which is just crazy i mean i've played you know for a lot of years i've not gone that i've got like 200th but this is very deep four tables left in the main so you know tell me about that first big buy-in experience and where was that were you like wow okay i'm buying in for a 5k or, or plus like what, how did that happen so i actually i don't i don't think this i think my cash on this isn't on hendon for some reason but i think the august after that 2013 um cash I, I ended up going to play the hard rock series it was like a 3500 or a 5k or something mm-hmm. or you know what maybe that was after the main event yeah i don't i don't think that was yet so what happened was i i had this score in 2013 for the end of the rest of 2013 and 2014 i played like the circuit events like a wsop circuit events so the biggest buy-in after that was like a 1600 mm-hmm. and then um what I ended up doing was I would go to the world series, but I played mostly cash still. So I played cash and I played uh, in the sit and goes and the sit and goes helped me kind of understand like ICM and, you know, stuff I wasn't really under, I didn't really, you know, big blinds and stuff. I didn't, the concepts I didn't understand as a cash player. And I started making pretty decent money there. It was funny because I used to grind those with like Ankush. Mm-hmm. Like he used to grind them when I did. And and I remember seeing him like he's going to be exceptional. Yeah. So every time I saw him, like before people really, I mean, he was known online, I think, but not really live. Yeah. Um, like I, I knew he was going to be a big deal because he just never really made a mistake. Um, so I grinded those for a while and I ended up, you know, like building a little bit of a bankroll to where I, I took a shot and played like a 1K sit and go, which was a lot for me. And I ended up um, winning it. And so I was like, the first one I played, I won. And I remember calling my dad. I was like, oh my God, I just, I just won $10,000 in like an hour. And I just thought that was crazy. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to sell the Lammers like every other sit and go. I'm going to play another one. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like I'm just going to sell them and, and, and keep going. And, and, you know, a few people are like, you have to play the main event. Like, this is what poker is all about. Like you can't, I was like, I'm not playing the main event. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. They're like, nobody does. That's why the main event is so amazing. I didn't realize, you know, you, you hear about the prestige of the main event. You don't realize like a lot of amateurs and it's like a really soft field for that big of a buy-in. So I got convinced to play and I ended up making it like looking back, I made so many mistakes and it was a trap travesty, but I learned that was in 2014, the main event. Yeah, it was in, I think it was in 2014. Yeah. I just, I didn't know what I was doing the like hours. Like it's, it's such a mental game at that point. You know, if you make it past day two, so much of it is just like not letting yourself be your worst enemy. And I just started making terrible mistakes, you know, trying to gamble and just, I'm like, this isn't how I play poker. So I really wanted to put in the work to become better. Um, But that was my first experience. I think I ended up busting on day three and I was just so disappointed in myself because I knew how many mistakes I had made. Um, And again, I still wasn't selling pieces of myself. I didn't really understand that concept. So it was like $10,000 of my own money was like gone. And so I was like, well, that wasn't fun. How can I become better at this? So, yeah, that, that's so, okay. So learning experience you play, but then looks like 2015 in, uh, so I was 2014 and actually I, I had it backwards, but your, your real big, big pop after that was actually in February of 15 now. So you, you do get, it looks like you actually won a tournament in LA. So you take first which is nice, right? Because you've, you've taken a second right away, but now you actually get the trophy. You do win it. It's at the Commerce, uh, another big size field, $500 buy-in, but 577 people and you take first. What was that What was that feeling? How did that compare with getting first? But not as much money, but but to actually win. How, what was the difference in emotion there? So that's a, actually another interesting story. So during this time, I was actually started playing 1020 No Limit at Commerce. I would like, I had just started like making trips and I'd go by myself. I'd stay for the weekend. I'd stay at commerce. I'd play for the weekend. I'd make like decent money. And then I'd go home. Like I was really starting to play higher stakes, which was probably not the smartest thing, but I was doing well. So I kept doing it. Right. That weekend I had come because it was LAPC, but also to play cash. I had like my worst losing session ever and I had lost like $12,000 and I like couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I had lost that much money. And I remember like a couple friends were like, you got to play this $250 tournament. I was like, there's no way in hell I'm playing that. And I'm like, I literally have to win to break even or like get third or whatever. It was like, I had to literally get third place to get my money back from cash like, come on, it'll be fun. Like just, you know, I had some friends that were playing the tournament. So I ended up playing and then winning it. I was like, okay. So then I had this like kind of joke that every time I'd have a bad losing session, I should just play a small buy-in tournament and win it to break even. That's awesome. You do, you do ship it. You get to hoist the trophy. So now you got a, a win on your resume. And then it looks like not long after you go ahead. So you get 55K and then you just come right back in the next uh, cash actually like you, you had a, a three final tables in a row you took ninth and ac in one and then you know shortly after you go to la uh and now you're in the 3500 wpt and this is at the seminal in hollywood and sure enough you go uh, and, and do make the final table in a thousand person 3200 a dollar field so yeah tell me tell me a little bit about that and what that was like 
Yeah. So after my score at LAPC, um, I was kind of vacillating between whether I should stay and play, you know, the rest of LAPC there and try to win like whatever that, you know, there's like a point system. So if you win, you're kind of incentivized to stay and play the rest of the schedule so you can get an extra 10 grand or whatever the the prize is. Um, But I decided I just had a feeling like I wanted to go to Florida and play. And I also that's my favorite casino to play at is the hard rock in, in Fort Lauderdale. I just love the events there. They're ran so well, yeah. you know, Tony Burns, like I'm just friends with everyone there. My, you know, my best friend Lonnie lives out there. So I, I just decided to go play that. And I got there and I immediately was down like three buy-ins or something. I'm like, maybe this is not the right decision. So I ended up playing the fourth, fourth bullet and I remember there was like a, I had start. I started selling at this point. Like, so I had sold maybe like 20 to 40% of myself on this tournament. Um, and a couple people dropped out in the last, cause I had only s- scheduled three. So then when I played the fourth bullet, I think like two investors were like, no, we don't want, <laughs> we, don't, we don't want any more of your action. So like, all right, whatever. So I ended up playing by myself and I just, you know, like things just ran smoothly. I feel like every time I go deep, you kind of get in this groove where you like feel it. You're like in the pocket essentially where you just like, you're making good decisions. Like you're, you're, you're at the right tables. Like every, you know, bluff you call is correct. Every, you know, even when you go down, you come back up. It's like your mental stability is just there. Like everything just seems to be like in that flow state. Um, and I really felt that like the entire time until the final table, I like felt like a shift and I was like, this is bad, but you know, I've played the best I can. And then I ended up getting bad beat to get third, but it was like a wild, wild run. Um, but it was a good experience for sure. Is your dad, your family, how, how, how heavy are they sweating you now? Like, is it like whenever you play a tournament at no matter the buy-in or something, do they want to know, are they asking for updates? Like in these bigger ones, does he fly out when you can make that final table? What's the, uh, what's the, what's the family interest at this point now that you're sort of the, you know, the household superstar on, on the tour, you're on a world poker tour. You are, you're playing poker for a living. You're traveling the world. Uh, how, how engaged are they? Uh, very, they love that. I mean, they just are so excited. I'm, I'm really fortunate that I have the support of my family, you know, given that I do have a pretty serious career outside of poker, you know, they've never like deterred me from playing poker. They've always supported me and encouraged me to keep doing what I'm doing. And, you know, like my dad is my biggest fan, like every single person he comes into contact with, he shows them all the videos of me and, you know, Google her and do this and do that. And, you know, if I'm in a tournament, he sends the link out to every single person he knows. And so that's, it's a cool feeling to be able to like have that support. And yes, my dad, any tournament that I go deep in, he wants to be there. You know, the last tournament that he flew out for was, Last fall, I was in Montreal for the WPT at Playground, and I ended up final tabling that. And I remember, like, getting deep, and, you know, there's, like, 100 or 200 people left. He's like, I'm flying to Montreal. I'm like, just relax. Let yeah. me get there first. He, bad. like, be there day one just to hang out, you know. So it's a it's a cool experience, and I love to be able to, you know, give him something to get that excited about. For sure. And that uh, 
I, those two places, Montreal and the Hollywood uh, for the WPTs, those are my favorite two stops. Those, those I think, are the best venues for poker. Uh, there's some other great ones, but those two in particular, and like you mentioned, Tony Burns, the Hard Rock, they do a great job. And now they have that new hotel, the $1.5 billion guitar. I was there opening night, did a vlog for them, and I was like, wow, this is this is very special. It's kind of super unfortunate timing because right? it's the worst. Cause I haven't who knows, seen it. who knows how big these events could have been right now. Like it was like literally like coming up to, you know, the April and what was going to happen and, and, and with their big guarantees. And I, I think they would have had like all time records, you know, people would, would come for it, the, the venue, the new, new guitar hotel, whatever. And now we're unsure what's going on, but uh, have you had a chance to see the new guitar or is it just not, was it, were you not there since the, the remodel? Cause I don't think they, they hadn't done their big event really since the, yeah. the hotel open. I haven't been there because I think they had the lucky hearts in um, January before COVID, but I ended up going to Australia for Aussie millions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that I actually loved that venue. I did horrible that stop, but it was super fun and Landon actually final table there, which is cool. Yeah. That's, that's uh that is pretty, that is pretty sweet. And it's going to, I mean, it's going to come back. Things are going to get back and, and back to normal pretty soon. The vaccine's coming and, you know, I think uh, the world's going to get back in order a bit. Um, there's, I do want to, I know you have to get going at, and not too long. And there's so many questions. There's, I don't want to. No, oh, we have time. Okay. Oh, let's cover I definitely want to cover the main event deep run, which you got 29th, I believe. And, and uh, let's see what it was 2015, right? So the year after your sort of first main event, you learned some stuff. You you obviously said you wanted to perf- get have a better showing. You still made day three, but boom, 2015 July. Uh, we remember McKeon the year he won. This was pretty pretty crazy, big one too. A lot of a lot of entrance, 6420, 7.6 million up top. You get 29. Tell me about that. What was that like going that deep and to see the room collapse? To all of a sudden you're like, holy, there's 6,000 people now. There's four tables left, and I'm in it to win it. What what was going on? Tell me about your sort of overall run. Did it start well day one? Were you give me your kind of journey of the days and what that was like all the way through? Yeah, so it was it was a really surreal. Even to this day, probably the most surreal experience I've ever had. Um, one, cause I had never experienced even cashing the main event, let alone going that deep in the enormity of how much pressure it is like self pressure and external pressure. Once you start going deep is exponential, the deeper you get. Um, and on top of like all the other stuff that's going on through your head, it's, it's a lot, but it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And, um, day one dinner. I had 10 big blinds. So I remember my girlfriend who I was staying with, she was a a bartender in Vegas. She came and picked me up. We went to dinner and I'm thinking like, okay, well, you know, I'll probably call you at some point soon. You know, like I, she doesn't play poker, but I'm like, it's, I don't have a lot going for me. And then I got back to the table and I just doubled and doubled in one orbit. So I went from 10 big blinds to 50 big blinds, like immediately. I was like, well, I didn't expect that. And so that helped a lot. You know, I won a race and then I got like Queens versus Jackson or something and won that. And, you know, I'm like, okay, well, you know, my mindset was already kind of like what my mindset was at the Arizona state championship. It's like, okay, I'm going to do the best I can. There's not a lot of pressure. You know, I felt like I was kind of free rolling because I assumed that I was going to be out. Um, 
So I kind of just coasted. Like I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself. I just played like ABC poker for a while. And once I kind of gained some confidence, you know, like I, I, I stayed around for a little bit. I got it through day two and I'm like on to day three you know, it's like this like swagger kind of comes over you like I can do this, you know. And yeah. so I just really played my game and 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 got deep. And, you know, you really you're so focused on the game that you look up and you're like, holy shit, like we're deep. It, it, you're so focused that like time doesn't exist, you know. So it was it wasn't really until like day six where I'm like, OK, this is this is a possibility. Um, and, and when you get to that day five, day six, how, how much like, is it, is it, is your phone blowing up? I mean, your parents, your dad, at that point, I'm sure your dad's there, right? But he's got to be here on day six of the main, or was he sweating there? Like I'm coming in and how did that work? Were they, were you getting a lot of uh, friends and people starting to blow you up and, and getting like, kind of, do, do you put your phone away when you play or are you on it? Do you do posts? Do you do updates? Like what's your, what's your live I feel like your presence when I've watched, seen you on some poker after darks or poker night in America's and you always seem very dialed in, you know, you have a good presence at the table. Like, are you pretty focused and block stuff out or do you feel a little bit distracted and, and do you, do you go on your phone or, or are you just literally like matrix mode and just put everything away? No, I, I go on my phone and I like to update people. I feel like, you know, it's this weird like tug of, do I update people? Do I just not say anything? But then if I'm not updating people, then it's like in the back of my head. So I feel more at ease when I'm just like letting people know what's going on. And I have that support. It like makes me feel like I'm more in the pocket. So I do put, you know, I do interact with my phone. I like update people and I let, you know, I try to interact with social media. So people are following. um, And that's like a fun part of it because you have like this whole team that's cheering you on, like, you know, go, go, go. And you're getting all these like updates and people are just so excited for you. It kind of like fuels you. Yeah. It's kind of like Twitch. That's one of the things I like going going deep in a tournament. You know, there's some excitement. People come in, you can kind of feel the support, the energy, the excitement. Uh, Do you, do you, do you sell at this point? Do you do any swaps or selling in these tournaments or do you usually just go in yourself or what's your breakdown of pieces generally? Yeah, at this point, yes. I started selling and swapping a little bit. Um, I, I always wanted to keep like at least 60% of myself. So that was kind of like the safe number. I can't remember. I think I had closer to 70 for this main event. Um, but I like to keep like big chunks of myself because I feel that if you're confident in your abilities, you want to have is just like I would want to invest in me. I invest, you know, I buy pieces of other people. So if I'm buying pieces of other people, why would I not want to keep a big chunk of myself? So, um, you know, that's part of it, whether that's the most financially responsible decision to make. I'm not sure, but it's, you know, I've been fortunate that it's worked out for me. And and do you ever, do you ever use sites like, uh, stake kings or you stake do you ever do you ever post action for fans do you usually do it to one person or a couple friends or swap like how do you how do you get do your action when you do post action generally yeah i typically have uh like i have a a small group of people who always want like pieces of me so i kind of keep it limited to that and then i do end up swapping out with some friends um so i never post online to sell action i think maybe i have once for a few big tournaments like the 25k that i played at pca i sold i think i sold some for online but i'm not i honestly don't remember um 
but for the most part, I have like a, a loyal group that kind of just rebuys my pieces. So yeah, it's, it, it's, it is, it's fun. It's interesting. People really do love sweats. You know, it's like, you see action these days, people just want to have a little piece. And it's funny if like someone has $5 of a tournament, it, it's fun for them to really like, they'll, they'll like hang on to every tweet or update or, or, you know, thing. And that's one of the things those sites do. It's nice. Cause part of the problem I find, like, I don't mind. And I like selling action as well. Like whether it's, you know, just, it's fun to sell to some of your good friends. It takes away a bit of risk. It's also kind of cool to have people rooting for you. It is a bit annoying to like deal with, you know, like, text and go back and forth with multiple people. That's one of the things I do like about those sites is like, you just have one thing, you put it up. A lot of people can get a piece. You don't do any you know work. And uh, it's pretty cool. I think, you know, Tyler, right? Arizona, Tyler Hancock out there. And, and uh, yeah, so yes, I'm, I'm a big advocate of state Kings and I think it's great. Well, you do get down there and do you remember, was it, did you believe what point did you feel like you could win or you were like, wow, this is crazy. Cause like really it is an out of body experience. I actually had a sweat of uh, cannoli who got, in that same year, he got uh, sixth place and he lost the aces all in preflop to tens. I'll never forget that hand um, at the final table. But, you know, the money just gets so massive and even your score is huge. But, you know, at what point were you kind of like, uh, wow, this is a life? Because, I mean, listen, you've hit 150K scores, life changing right at the moment for what you're doing, for, for the stakes you're playing. Anyone would be lying, really, to say that to hit a million or two million dollar score, a seven million dollar win, it wouldn't be life changing. Yeah. And, and it is, and you're there and you have a position now where you're in control of your destiny to some degree. Uh, what was that like? And, and were you getting kind of like, did you feel getting nervous? You're like, holy, you know, like, wow, I'm literally, you know, what, 20, basically uh, one out of three people is going to get a million dollar score. That's essentially where you were at, right. With 20, 28 left. So like, did you, would, how did you handle that, that emotion and sort of that, that, that portion once you got down, you know, let's say 36 left, what, what was your feeling? So I really try and I approach every tournament like this one to believe that I can win every single tournament I play and two, to not let that idea of the money alter my emotional or mental stability. So I don't really, I try to not think about that and it really never comes into play. I know that, you know, going back to the, you know, this is obviously on a smaller scale, but going back to, the 2013 event, like I never really thought about the money. I was like, oh, this is great. And I'm super grateful, but I'm not going to play differently. And I'm not going to let that make me nervous or like play in fear, which I feel like a ton of people do. And it's obviously easier said than done. But, you know, I've been fortunate enough to live a life where, you know, I can say, you know, I've never really struggled with anything. I've never you know, needed to have money or struggle to have money. So I, my mindset's a lot different than maybe a lot of other people who are like, Oh, if I make a million dollars, like my life will change. Yes. If I made a million dollars or even $8 million, my life would change, but how I live my life would not. Mm -hmm. And that's a conscious decision that I make because I don't want it to, you know, I, it's important for me to live a simple life you know, I don't need a bunch of extravagant things. I I'm doing what I want to do right now. So would it make my life a little bit easier? Could I invest more? Could I maybe buy a bigger house? Yeah. But would I change much? Probably not. And yeah, it's, 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 it's I gotta, I gotta plug my computer and just give me one, one yeah, second. No worries. All right, guys, again, I want to remind you, you can go over to Twitter. You can go to Kelly or my latest well my latest tweets pinned and if you want to win a chance for 111 ticket on party poker for the one shot it is a 
<laughs> there for the taking. Just retweet, comment, and uh, you will be eligible. So we'll do that draw at the end here. And then we're going to try to get some of these questions. I know Kelly has a she has stuff she's got to do. So we do want to I want to make sure we get to some of these. I mean, there's a lot. Hopefully she can answer some afterward if we don't get to all of them or if she sees one she she likes. She'll try to take a look. But we'll uh, we will cover some of those quickly. I'm just, you know. We got a lot to talk about. It's a lot. It's a very exciting. It is cool. I love seeing. I think my favorite part of the podcast when the poker side, when people are poker players or, or, or you know, the, to see their hen and mob. I just think it's so fun. Uh, it's a great site. Like the fact you get to go back, kind of relive because it blends together at some point. You don't remember what year stuff was, where right. it was, how many people, what what amount you got exactly. So you can kind of go back and relive some of the uh, the memories and, and the rides and, and, and what it's all about. So it's, uh, it is cool and, and to see. So you end up, tell me about your bust hand though. What was that? Did you get shorts? Was it a bit, was it a flip? Was it a cooler? How did you go out in this tournament? Oh my gosh. So Uh-oh. this it's painful. This, I don't, I hate it was so painful. And I really like, you know, the, I think the most painful thing about it was that I didn't expect to lose. Like it never really crossed my mind that I could be beat which was a mistake on my part, but I was just, you know, with the fatigue and like how many, it, it just, you don't really understand the effect it has on your mind until you're there. Like, I can't really explain it to you, but it's like, you get this tunnel vision and sometimes you just see what you miss one thing and it ruins everything. And then once you realize that you're like, Oh my God, what did I do? So I think it happens a lot. A mental side is so huge, but part of it, what you're saying though, I think is why you've had so much success in these type of fields, big buy-in deep, you know, a lot of people and you're just so focused, so engaged, you know, it can be a blessing and a curse. Like you said, you might miss something, but at the same time, like you're just like so set on the prize. You're like, all right, I can do this. I'm here hand by hand, do my best. Every hand's a puzzle, that sort of mentality. Um, Yeah. Tell me what happened though. Were you, what, what was the, what was the actual hand that happened? To, to remove yeah, it from the so, so I was in the big blind and it the button limps, small blind completes, and I had what did I have? I had 10-8, I think. It's so bad I don't even remember. But I try to like block this out because it was so painful. But um so I have 10-8 and the flop was like I flopped trips. It was like 10-10 X. And it was two hearts. So I felt at the time, I don't even remember the action, but I felt at the time that it was such a draw heavy board that I wanted to just like win the pot. So when I got check raised, I'm thinking, okay, he's got to have some type of like, I have a 10. So what are the chances that he, you know, the thought of him having a 10 didn't really cross my mind, which is like a huge mistake that I wouldn't consider that. So we end up like getting all of our chips in, in this completely inflated pot that was limped and he ends up having queen 10 and it turns a queen. Mm. And, and so, that was, wow. Then, and that was how many blinds did you have roughly? Do you remember when you were started the hand or like, was it maybe you- like 25? I had a lot. So I, I just punted it and I didn't realize when I was playing the hand, I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. You know, if it was like day one of a regular tournament, I never would have done it. But like the mental fatigue and like what my my thought process was so far off from reality. And it just like all hit me at once. Like once I busted, I was like in such a state of shock that it like all kind of came piling down. And, you know, I have my emotions in check extremely well in poker. 
Like I don't get emotional when I lose. I'm, I handle it extremely well. That's one of the biggest strengths I have in my game is how I handle wins and losses. Like on the win side, like how we just talked about, I never get like manic about it. I just move on to the next thing. And with the losses, the same thing. But this was totally different. So it like hit me like a ton of bricks. And then, you know, the guy who it was Buteroni who ended up busting me in this hand. He like has a whole rail of like really loud guys from Italy. And they're like screaming. He's like, yeah, like screaming. And they edited this out for TV, which I was kind of surprised, but he's like fist pumping. And he's like, yeah, like screaming. And I'm like about to cry. So then I like walk off and like, you know, all the ESPN cameras are there because I'm the last woman and you know, they want to hear what I have to say. And I'm just like, I couldn't even do an interview, which is so not like me. So I had to like walk off and compose myself because I was like, what did I do? So in, in that moment when you get to 200 grand, I mean, it just, in that particular spot, you're just like, you can see how close you are. You know, it, it, it just doesn't feel good, right? I mean, you're not, you're just like, you're literally like beside yourself. You need a little time to sort of decompress and like process it. Cause it's just For so. Sure. Like the yeah. money doesn't even, and that's the weird thing that unless you're a tournament player, you don't understand, like, you know, it's like you're upset, but you have all this money, like guaranteed, like you're going home with that money. But it's not, it's not about that at that moment. Right. Um, so it was just, it was a difficult pill for me to swallow. It was like, wow. And then, you know, up to that point, I had heard like, you're ne- this is, this is your chance. Like people play for 20 years and they never get this deep. Like, you know, Phil Ivy doesn't, this doesn't happen to him, you know, like do this, you, this is your chance. So once you bust, you're like, I'm never going to get this chance again. Right. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll come to very closely because you, you know, you basically did yeah. do that uh, not too long after. And and that uh, and after that score, though, what the, well, let me just ask you about the last woman standing, because, you know, female poker players, there's not a ton. We This is something I talk with with guests that are females. You know, it's a, you're a minority within the within the game. Um, what are your kind of thoughts on it? Do you like like is it fun to you to be that like or it's like not so many women play? last woman standing it's kind of like you know it's it is it's something it's a real thing espn acknowledges it you know we saw like kate hall win a gpi award and say like i don't think there should be female awards we're all the same so like what's your sort of uh, i gotta ask even though i know it's probably annoying you get asked a lot what's your sort of like female take on poker and where that all kind of plays in how, how do you feel about it yeah no i'm i actually enjoy talking about this because it's such a controversial topic and there's so many differing opinions on this mm-hmm. but me personally, I think that women and men are different. We think different. We operate different. We act different. We play poker different for the most part. There are some women who don't play poker different, but generally women play poker different. And I can say that with certainty because every year I play in the the women's, the ladies event, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing because I'm so used to playing with a certain expectation of my opponent that completely changes when I play against women. And actually, you know, it's intriguing to me. Like, why is it different? What about women that play poker? You know, it's such like a deep rooted phenomenon that I think is really interesting because it's not just poker. It's like decision-making it's risk aversion it's confidence, it's aggression. It's like all these things that we as a society align with masculinity that a lot of women either are afraid to or don't know how to utilize those skills, 
Right. And so I feel like if women are to understand that and become empowered with that knowledge, they can change that if they want. Um, And so to recognize, you know, like I'm risk averse because of this reason and I can make better decisions if I recognize that, that that's really cool because it translates to other areas of, of life. For sure. And, and you, what do you, what would you say a uh, poker that, you know, you, you see your parents pushing or your dad pushing you to try it, to go in and do it, which is awesome. And my dad's basically the same, you know, he, he really supports it. He thinks poker applies to a lot of things in life. And he's, he always says I, he loves it now and he plays himself a lot. And he's like, I wish I played when I was younger because of the skill sets that you kind of learn, develop and how it applies to real life. What to you do you believe poker is the most relevant to life? What do you, what do you think you've gotten the most out of it that you can apply in everyday life? I mean, it's really hard to boil it down to one thing because I think you can apply it in your professional career all like all across the board. And you can also apply it to your personal life because you learn how, you know, from your personal standpoint, like you learn how to read people and you learn how to allocate how someone acts to how someone thinks and vice versa. And so I think that once you hone those skills as you become a decent poker player, you then can translate that into the real world. You know, like I, as an attorney, I can, you know, gain so much information based on people, what people say or don't say or how people act or their body language that I never would have even considered doing if I didn't play poker. Because when you play poker and you're, especially live, like you're sitting, you're, you're analyzing every person's micro movement. So and, it, it goes yeah. a long way. And, and what do you think about the whole the, uh, live thing now where like kind of robotic people stall, take time, whereas to you, your point that you're saying you analyze every movement. So, you know, to some degree, you want to be neutral. You don't want to give stuff away. You want to, you know, at the highest level, you see this a lot. And it's sort of people argue killing the game with, you know, take 10 seconds fold, like do that, you know, kind of boring and not as much talking and whatever. But then the other side of it is it's got a fun, you know, you played TV shows, you played on televised tournaments, you played televised cash games, people want to engage, they want to have fun, they want to talk. So how do you kind of, what's your stance on this about, about being, you know, friendly and quick, play quick and, and give a good show and have a good time versus, uh, well, you want to win and be your best and not give anything away. Yeah, it's, it's for sure a balancing act. I think it depends on the environment that you're in. So I try to make I try to adjust based on where I'm at, what situation I'm in. You know, if I'm playing a live game or I'm playing cash where you need to kind of fuel the the momentum or the excitement in a game, you can't stall and do stuff like that. But if I'm at a final table of a WPT and the ICM considerations are like extensive and I need to stall for X, Y, and Z reason, or I need to, you know, play tight and it's maybe not the most exciting thing, but it's the most profitable thing. Then I have to do that. But if it's a game where it's like, you know, we're playing for fun and I may lose a couple thousand dollars in equity, but long-term it's going to be better because people are going to see that like I'm willing to make the game fun. You know, it's, it's a balance of like everything in between there. Yeah, no, it is. It's exactly, I think you're right. And there's a certain time and place for everything. You know, it's a time to kind of have fun, joke around, you know, it's casual light. And there's times where, you know, you're, you're finding bubbles or getting deep in a big buy-in tournament and, and, you know, things are a little, little different, a little higher, higher stake situation. And, and you don't want to, you know, be loosey goosey as, you know, you know, Daniel likes to say, you know, you got to yeah, be serious. 
you know, I used to be on the side of like, I'm not stalling. That's stupid. And like, I'm here to play poker. I'm here to win. I don't care about a min cash. But once you understand why people do that, especially in these like big field tournaments where you're like, like for the main event, for example, when people start stalling before they stop the clock, like it's so beneficial to do that because so many people don't. Right. So, well, yeah, it, 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 especially a thousand people cash. Let's take that 2015 run you had. There's a thousand seventy players left. Like it's not hard to make it from there. If you just fold, like you could have eight lines and literally make it most likely just by folding. So, you know, you why take that extra hand or two where you could be at risk or hit the big blind. And, you know, so, yeah, it's a it's a, you got to understand people have their their reasons and it's good to understand perspectives and and and, and everyone kind of has their their own uh take and, and of course people like money who wants to bubble you wsop main event someone min cashing that could be their highlight of their poker career they might be from their local home game they may have satellited they may have sold 95 percent, and every you know they just want to get the money and get for people so like yeah you, you got to understand that it is uh it's important to people and it makes you make a good point there what's this uh we got to before we take some questions the queen poker queen so this is on amazon uh you are you documented in this can you tell me a little about what this this is a show a movie it looks like it's the actual movie yeah it was like a documentary that this woman decided to do and she followed a few um female poker players and I was part of it and it was a pretty exciting experience you know to be on like a actual documentary on poker um but really it just it was just a fun experience to participate in um and uh yeah it was it was filmed last not this past WSOP because that wasn't live but the last live WSOP and um, it was just fun to participate in. If you haven't seen it, you can go on Amazon and, and rent it or buy it and, and watch. There's a bunch of notables like Liv Bory and Jennifer Tilly, Lonnie Harwood, my best friend's on there. She's pretty cute. That's awesome. I, I, I do want two more tournament things I want to cover before we take questions uh, from, from people, which there's a lot. So we'll try to get to them was you did get the follow up. You say you may never get another chance. You, you're 2015. You hit the score uh deep you get nice last woman standing kind of cool and you know you get the, the third in the wpt you then follow up the same year and have a huge so you're having a big 2015 um and you're in your things are going well but then uh you hit some other you know final tables you're going around you're playing some poker and then here we go 2018 three years later uh again this is a big one actually 25 percent more almost 20 percent plus more entrance 7,800 it's the main so even it's crazier to think how deep that you know that really is like to get there with that many more people it's actually probably even deeper technically than or around the same equivalent when you get 50th so how, how was this experience like did you were like because you just like you said you may never get better than 29th there's a good chance that's a pretty uh over under it's a high mark to hit I mean you play let's say another 50 years you know maybe but now we go three years and you're basically right there again what was this like when you're like down to 64, you know, eight tables, the room's small again. You're like, wow, here we go again. Was it, what was your, what was that like? It was exciting. And I will say that I felt more prepared. Um, it's like, I've been here before. I know what I'm doing. I had more confidence. I just understood the game better. But I, the one thing I did recognize more than I did in 2015, and this could be coincidence, or this could just be like how far the game has progressed in those three years was the ability of my opponents. 
like as the tables got, you know, it's like, oh, it's all fun and games. And when you're playing early, it's like, you know, there's a bunch of novices and there's people that are playing because they won their seat in their city that was like they played for three months to get like a main event seat. Um, But once it got to like 150 players, everybody was good. Right. And once it got to like small, it was just like exponentially hard as it got to the end. And I was just so exploited at the end that it made it difficult for me to understand where I was at because people were doing things that were like way off the charts because they saw me as someone who was way below their ability. And so they would just, you know, I'd open under the gun plus two with ace four off with just three bet me. Like that didn't conceptually, I didn't know what to do there. And so that, you know, from like a skill standpoint, I definitely made some mistakes like in the end game um, that I don't like beat myself up about because I'm not the best poker player in the world. And to get that far was amazing. And I, you know, there was no like significant mistake that I really made that I look back on. I'm like, that was horrible. Like I did in 2015. So I felt good in that sense. Like I felt accomplished. I was happy with the result, much happier than I was in 2015. And I feel like I'll be there again. Yeah. It's uh, it is a, once you start getting that feeling too, it's, it is nice. You know, it's like, Oh, it's not an accident. I can do it. I know how to make the money. I know how to go deep. I know how to give myself a chance to win. And, and you're right there. So again, I'm not gonna, I don't want to spend the whole time on your, your uh your career but it is cool to see those two big scores at the the wsop your your first ever cash being for a second with your dad they're really very cool you got another third place wpt and i saw again you're recently now i mean live poker is basically done but wpt montreal which again one of my favorite stops uh we see you get um seventh place so you're right there knocking again and miss picknell there and a lot of big names i mean no doubt poker's getting i think live poker's thriving but like as you said like the tournament field seemed better and softer than ever but the the really good players are really good so it's like once you get sort of deep into a tournament you know i guess that's really what you can do you can build a stack play your best and then you kind of get down to those final five four five six tables and it's not really a walk in the park you got to run well got to cooler some people and, and there's some good players uh, but the, the game does seem to be growing. And and I do want to ask your, your overall take on poker at the moment. Do you believe live poker is thriving? Or do you think the game with RTA online and it's kind of solvers and people are getting a lot better? What, what's your sort of uh, take on the landscape of poker at the moment in the future, let's say the next few years of uh, live poker? Well, I think COVID kind of threw a wrench in th- into things with, you know, predictability. But I feel like, especially after playing some significant volume or at least for me significant volume online um during quarantine it's extremely difficult online i you know i think that people take for granted how difficult it is and i think part of the difficulty lies in the fact that there is some i don't know if i want to say shady but i don't really trust playing online and you know, I see forums and I see, you know, there's these rumors on like these groups of people who are like colluding. And, you know, that makes me nervous because I know playing online or playing live, you hear, you know, a couple years ago, there was some rumor that 
this guy in the heads up championship had like these glasses where you could like see the cards. And that was like such a huge scandal or, you know, in the world series in 2019, there was some guy who was like marking cards and he got arrested. Like people try to do that lie, but there's no like huge mass conspiracy that people, there's like our our cheating ring. Um, So I feel like given that, no, like experiencing that and like feeling on like this unsettling feeling while playing online. I feel like the only way poker will grow will be live. And may, you know, again, like with the pandemic and everything, it's extremely hard to say, but I feel like if this thing kind of subsides and live poker comes back, it'll be big. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely with you. All right. Last thing before we take questions, Kelly, because we're already where I know you're where we're, there's a lot and I see a lot of good questions I want to ask. So let's just do them from Twitter that way. But I see you got a uh, I believe a double. Well, is a double major. You were in biology. Is it cellular and molecular biology? I mean, that sounds uh, pretty intense. Is that true? I mean, what's going on there? That is that is not a, your normal, typical degree. That seems very, very intense. Well, tell me what that was and what uh, what happened and with that like that. What made you want to do that? Because that sounds very, very serious. Yeah, so it was pretty serious. It was actually more difficult than law school to uh, complete that degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, uh, and and you know what the interesting thing is is that Kate Hall also graduated with the same degree as me from the mm-hmm. University of Arizona. Oh, She's wow. I think, like two two years older than me, but like I net we just didn't know each other, and we essentially had the exact same path from like graduating with the molecular and cellular biology degree then going to law school and then playing poker, which I think is interesting. Like I'm a, I'm a big Kate Hall fan, but um, is she yeah. still playing poker. Cause I mean, she did have some really great results and I know, you know, she got into some, like some battles with bill and talking about, you know, what my, what her earnings were and, and something with there's some bets and like, she was outspoken. I think she is the one that was like talking about the award, maybe the GPI award. And she was like, I don't, uh, maybe if I'm mistaken, but I thought she said like, uh, you know, the men, women and men shouldn't be separated in this kind of thing. She's got some pretty hot takes and very, very, you know, she's doing what she believes in and obviously a super sharp individual uh, and smart. So it looks like she hasn't played since 2018. She just hit a final table and just said, all right, but, uh, or at least live. Um, yeah, so she, yeah. she kind of took some time away from poker and she's she's working with like um tech company she has her own business she's she's on to bigger and better things i think but right. I, I i um you know i just i respect her a lot i respect her outspokenness given that you know she knows that a lot of people disagree with her or you know, think negatively of her for voicing her opinion. And I may not agree with everything she says, but I respect the fact that she's confident enough to speak her mind. Yeah, no, she's someone I never really got to talk with or know, but I, same thing. I mean, she definitely is, uh, yeah, you can tell she's, she's sharp and she has her beliefs and she's not afraid. She's not on the fence, right? She's like, all right, this is what I believe. This is why, why she's not in the middle kind of like, yeah, she goes with what she believes. So that is very interesting because that is super, super similar. And who was for, but were you first or she got into poker and then you? Because uh, she's older, but I feel like you've been in poker longer. Is it, was it sort of, uh, do you know her time frame? Like, did she, did, when did you guys know about each other? Uh, was it, did you, did you meet her in person there? Or was it at Poker Stop that you guys spoke and kind of realized that? Yeah. So it was actually in the 2015 main event, the one that I went deep in. She, um, organized a women's last longer for the main event. So there was like maybe 30 of us or something. And I ended up winning. I was in that last longer. And then there was another last longer with like just a bunch of people. 
And I ended up winning both of those. So that was really another big chunk of money. <laughs> so that was kind of nice. I actually forgot about that. But that's awesome. Well, that seems kind of hypocritical by her because she's like, I thought she's like, oh, I don't want to separate women and and we're like they're all the same in this award. She took this hot take on it and then she's doing like individual women last longer that seems like kind of like funny but i guess it's different i mean still it's a way to it's a way to kind of bond with girl like people she got some heat for that but i think it's you know it's more of like a camaraderie thing like exactly that's how i look at it i don't even think about anything else it's like you guys are you guys are like friends or you know you're listen women and men are different what do you want to talk about like of course they are we are they're different emotions different body parts different things like it's just different it's different and and there's nothing wrong with that it's not it's not a big deal to to uh you know segregate like you know separate on certain certain things and, and and whatnot so um okay well yeah cool so that that is uh we got sidetracked, so I forgot what I even asked you. But I know we spoke about molecular biology. Biology, yeah. So I, my, my original plan was to go to medical school. I've, since I was little, I wanted to be a surgeon. And, you know, I was really gung-ho on going to medical school and doing pre-med. There wasn't an actual pre-med track at the University of Arizona. You just had to have all the prerequisites necessary. And that was one of the majors that covered all bases. So... I did that. I It was extremely competitive. I mean, when you say that smart people are taking that major, it's like a whole nother level. So, um, but again, like my competitive drive, I, I like thrived in that arena that, you know, I was surrounded by people who were smarter than me and that I love that. So um, it was a struggle, but I ended up graduating and, you know, because it was so difficult for me, I had this huge anxiety about taking the MCAT. You know, I was like, I don't want to fail. You know, I'm worried that I'm not going to score high enough, blah, blah, blah. So I ended up being in the student center and seeing that there was a free LSAT, which is the prereq test necessary to get into law school. And they were like hosting it. You could take the LSAT for free and see how you did. Well, I had read that the LSAT's essentially like an IQ test, and so I was like, oh, this will be kind of fun just to see how I do. And so I took it and they're like, well, you could get into law school. So I was like, well, I don't have to worry about them. I could just take this and go. Right. So that was appealing to me. So I really didn't have a huge passion for law, but I did take a course in bioethics that kind of pushed me in that direction. Um, I thought it was a really cool, like, merriment of law and biology and science that I could see myself working in that field. And so I ended up pursuing law school. And when I was in law school, I realized that it was significantly easier, like less challenging than like science was for me. So I felt like I was more naturally inclined at like arguing and like finding like, you know, logic and reason and kind of putting that together to form a, a, you know, solid argument that could work to my benefit. So I kind of just veered in that direction. And because it was less tasking for me, I found myself having a lot of free time. And that's how I started playing poker. And the, the what was the, to get into this type of cellular molecular biology, what was sort of the, were you just always into this in, in high school um, growing up? Like it, it just, you know, it does seem pretty intense. Like what was sort of like when you were doing this what was your, your goal or what was your vision as a, as a career when during this time when you said, I'm going to take these majors? Yeah, I wanted to be a maxillofacial surgeon. So I wanted to work on 
um, mostly birth defects of the face, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 fix those for people. I also wanted to work on burn victims and do skin grafts. I just felt like you know I have this creative side to me as well. I was very immersed in art, um, and I felt like I could tie those two things together on my you know passion for science and my natural ability at, at creativity that I would be exceptional at that field. Um, and I do still have some regrets to this day of like not pursuing that. Cause I do feel like I would have been, um, I would have been good at that. Yeah. And, and do you, that's uh, but is that something where with poker, you know, too, do you, do you feel that moving forward, you know, you, how, how much do you feel that you'll be playing poker and is it something you think you'll do forever somewhat casually or do you feel like all right well i could sort of do other things and also always play poker to the degree i do um to you know which is uh in and out like do you you think you'll be playing more or less poker coming up here post-covid once live poker gets back to normal uh i think i'll always play poker to a certain extent but i've never seen myself solely playing poker or being completely immersed in poker you know, in 2019, I, I really gave it a full chance with the Thirst Lounge and, you know, playing a full schedule at the main event and the World Series and traveling pretty much full time. And I loved it. It was great, but it's definitely not a lifestyle I would see myself doing indefinitely. You know, I do would like to have, you know, a family and settle down and have a, you know, normal lifestyle. You know, I know you're experiencing that now. It's something that you can't replace with any other experience. So, that that is important to me and i know you can't really have both yeah and is so talk about that what what is that is that something that children is that something that you said you would like to have eventually do you want to have one two three four you don't know or (laughs) go with the flow do you have you thought about it or too young i'm open i'm open to all suggestions but but i definitely want to have kids and and uh what uh what is what is next for you after do you see yourself being in cyprus for a while or when do you think you'll is i mean is even i don't know the with the lockdown rules there and traveling like are you are you guys set to be there for a while or or may you come back to the u.s in the next few months or no plans as of now on that so we're here till the end of his basketball season which i believe is like march um so we'll be here for a while we're settled in we have our own apartment you know we're we're locals now so it's it's a nice change of pace and we're just really enjoying it. Very cool. And uh, I do before again, we're going to questions right now because we got it. We got to get moving, Kel. We got a lot. We got a lot of questions, and we are okay. going to do a hundred and eleven dollar giveaway. Um, tell me, but people that weren't here at the very beginning, I want to make sure we cover this. There's the zero to hundred challenge, looking to raise a hundred grand for the Landon Lucas Foundation. This is going on Friday, seven p.m. Eastern. I will be. I guess streaming, and like I said, is it better if I just go live on Twitch or be on a Zoom call and then I could like mute the Zoom call or something and talk to Twitch? What would you think makes the most sense? And what are you doing for that? Are you going to be on the Zoom calls? Are you going to stream it? How, how are, where, where can people kind of follow along and take part of that? Yeah, so you can go to 0to100challenge.org slash poker to register. If you guys aren't registered, Jeff is going to be playing as am I. Um, and you can also visit, visit our social media channels to find out more information. Um, but yeah, I think you should definitely stream it, maybe get on zoom and mute the zoom, or I don't know exactly how that works from a technological standpoint, but I think it'll be great. Um, you know, we're playing a poker event where first place is either a $10,000 main event seat or a vacation all inclusive to Cabo San Lucas for six people for a week which is amazing. Um, we have a smart comet nightstand for 
second place, which is valued at $1,500. And we have many more final table prizes. So, you know, it's going to be an amazing event. Um, there's a ton of celebrity players and all the proceeds are going to help fund scholarships for children in need. It's very, very cool. And it's going to be fun. I saw that Saul for Why was involved. Uh, I think Matt Berkey is going to be in there. I see your, the, the current law firm you're in versus standing as well. So they're, they're, in, they're involved and, uh, there is, uh, looks like some cool, cool items to bid on and that you can win and also donate along the way. Just checking some of these out. There's a lot of, lot of interesting ones. And, and is, is it open? You said, so people can play. This is someone, this can, people can register and take part and be part of this virtual online and, and, and register. That's, that's anyone, yeah, can join, right? Anyone can play. It's, it's web browser based. You don't need to download any applications. It's $250. If you register before Friday, there is some incentive with the add-on or rebuy. You get a discount. So if you go to, go to the site, it'll break it down for you. For $1,000, you get unlimited entries. So that's a pretty awesome pretty awesome option. Um, but yeah, and then we have the auction. We have a raffle for a 70-inch smart Samsung TV. Um, you can buy tickets for as little as, I believe, $25. It's the second one, number 102 right there. And you can also bid on a chance to win a virtual poker party with me. That's there you go. Look at this. You got right here. You guys can go to the website. It's on. I'll put it in the in the live chat here in the YouTube. And we are going to go over to Twitter. Let's take let's take some questions. And I will be in. Yeah, it'll be fun. That's a that's a pretty sweet first prize. 10K uh, main event. You know, that's as we know, that can turn into 200 plus pretty, right? if not more. So that would be that'd be a great story if someone uh, it go, does well, gets the seat and gets to uh, be in the next year's. Uh, WSOP and make a run. So let's uh, let's head over to Twitter. Let's take these questions, you guys. We are going to give the $111 ticket away. Uh, we'll do that here very shortly. We'll take some. And Kelly, just tell me. I know again, you're you're time wise. So we'll take some of these, and you just tell me. Come, tell me a couple more when uh, you're getting getting tight on time, and then we'll again. You could always check some out if you see them and they're on Twitter, and you want to answer them yourself. You can do it because we're definitely not going to get to all of these there's a lot which is great news that uh, a lot of people want to know what's going on with you and have questions but we'll uh, we'll take some of these right now and then uh, you just give me the give me the cue but like i said i'm not going to quit you kelly so you tell me you tell me when you got to go and we'll, uh, we'll 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 roll um so here's the first one michael Berain asking is there any professional opponent out there that you would uh love to do a major bankroll heads up like is there anyone you want to would you would you challenge heads up do you have any feuds or someone that you think you could just you would like to play for heads up either either a feud or for fun but you see this the daniel and doug uh there's boxing matches poker players are encountering and you know physical the one-on-one seems to be a thing these days uh anyone out there you'd like to challenge or 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 a battle with for either because you think you would just crush them or they're your friends but it would be fun give me give me give me a feud or or a a fun battle heads up you'd like to do a fun battle heads up. God, that's a good question. I'm going to, this is kind of random, but I'm going to say I played with him a few times and I think he just has so many tricks up his sleeve. I've never seen someone with more like subtle angles, like not scumbag angles, but just like creative and interesting lines and a lot of speech play that I think like I hate, but I also love. Mm-hmm. And that's Eric Afriat. All right. So Eric, interesting <laughs> three-time WPT winner. He's been on my podcast actually. Um, and he's one of the, one of those guys, like he's just, uh, you're right. He seems, you know to get about, people, right? He, of course, he seems to get people to do 
what he wants. And it's honestly amazing. Like the, his results, I think he got second in another WPT. So he's like, it's like, it's almost, it's almost like unbelievable, truthfully what he's done. And, and, you know, cause he's like, he's not like Seidel, you know, he hasn't been around forever. He comes in, he's a Montreal guy and he's got a family and he plays some of these events, but he just seems to get it done. So you're right. I don't, there's some kind of something there. So, all right. Well, interesting. Like I don't have any beef with him, but I think it would be a fun match. Okay. All right. Well, Eric, I know Eric and, and I could, uh, yeah, we could, let's see, maybe, maybe he'll hear this or we someone send him a clip and, and there could be something going on. So, uh, we got Eeyore, Eeyore, if I'm pronouncing that right, says what prompted such a beautiful girl to play poker? Tell the story of her early career. We did cover a bit of this, but what was, first of all, very nice compliments and giving you uh, she is, she does have a boyfriend, so calm down, but, uh, but we do appreciate the, the compliments uh, on stream. It's always nice to hear something nice. So what, what did prompt you um, if, if you kind of mentioned it, but was like that, what was your first ever scene or dealing with poker that you said, Hmm, this is interesting. So my first outside of playing with my family, my first ever instance where I really got the itch to play poker was I was in LA with my family my brother and my dad lived out there and my brother used to go to the bike and commerce and play all the time he played cash and stuff before i did um and so i am also not the type to really drink like the bar scene has not ever been my thing and so my brother's like kelly you know let's let's do this let's do that and i'm like no that doesn't really sound like fun i don't want to go to the bar He's like, well, why don't we go to the casino? And I'm like, okay. So we went to the we went to Commerce Casino, and he like threw me three hundred dollars, and he's like, okay, go play, you know, one two or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I had one buy in, and he played some other game I don't even remember. So I sit at the table, I like have my three stacks of five dollar chips, and in like an hour, I ran it up to like two grand. I was like. This is fun. And he has a picture of me from that day with like the two, you know, like two racks of chips. And come on, Kelly, you should have sent me that. That should have been your the the banner photo for, for the podcast day. The OG, the OG <laughs> where it all started. Um, all right. A lot of comments again, guys, calm down. She is off the market, but um, but we, we that's nice of you guys to say. All right. A couple quick ones. Favorite uh, favorite, pineapple or pizza? Pineapple, pineapple on, pizza. on pizza. Do you do you like pineapple on pizza? Not pineapple or pizza. That would have been kind of weird. Do you eat pineapple on your pizza? Yes. I, I like either pepperoni and pineapple or I like pepperoni, black olive, and green pepper. Mm, it depends nice. on food, but both of those are, are good. Very nice. Favorite singer. Do you have any 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 singer historically just you love the music or favorite music? I am a huge fan of Sabrina Claudio right now. She, I'm really into her. She's kind of like up and coming. So if you haven't heard of her, check her out. Okay. That's awesome. I, I have not heard of her. So that's, that's nice. It's a, uh, yeah, someone, it's always nice to, to have someone coming up that you, that you call it first, right? They're in two, three years. They're just going to blow up. And, and we want to hear a really funny story actually. So I actually followed her when she had like a YouTube or something. Mm-hmm. when she was like nobody she was like in high school still or something and i was so i knew this girl was gonna be like a big deal so in 2015 when i um had my like all these scores i actually wrote her on her thing and i said like i want to help you get into the music industry like i don't i'm not in the music industry but like i can try to help you and wow. i never heard from her and now she's like this huge star but I just thought that was kind of funny. I actually forgot about that till just now. 
that's that is that is funny that's that's crazy so she's okay we'll keep we'll keep an eye on her and it sounds like she's already doing very well uh what about a mentor who's sort of your mentor in poker is anyone that you, know, you said Lonnie Harwood's one of your best friends or, or in, in, and I know you actually as one other thing I did want to mention you did make a final table at the World Series with the, her I believe in the tag team uh, I saw that uh, as a reference so that's pretty cool right to, with one of your best friends to get to you both get to play and, and, and go there and do well so that what how was that was that a uh, who, who busted I guess is a more important question who was the one that, that knocked you guys out that that's always good. So, so Lonnie approached me for that tag team event and was like, Hey, do you want to be on my team? You'll play two hands, but I'm going to play the entire tournament. I was like, sure. She's like, I'll win you a bracelet. I'm like, okay. That's awesome. She just, so she just she she then I played probably, I played like two hands in the beginning and I played like an orbit at the final table and she ended, so she ended up busting. She really played the entire tournament, but it was cool to be able to, you know, be on her team. Right. Th- but yeah, is, uh... really that tournament that is cool so okay so Lonnie's one of your I mean she's a she's a very very close friend but is there any mentor someone that kind of was like maybe older in poker that when you started getting in or you spoke with and really looked up to that you had a chance to to work with or talk to you know I will I don't know if I had like a specific mentor but I will say when I first started playing the 2014 WSOP circuit I had like a group of people that I kind of traveled the circuit with that kind of took me under their wing and they helped me, um, you know, learn the basics of tournament poker. Um, so it was like Alex Massick, Cord Garcia, Steve Hess, Ryan Van Sanford, um, Nate Kogel. There was like a group of guys that kind of were like, Hey, we know you don't really know what you're doing. And, you have a lot of potential and this is how you can be better. So I traveled with them to like a few different stops um, and they really helped me a lot. Kind of catapult me to, to start understanding how to be successful in tournaments. Yeah. That's uh, it's nice to have a core, a group and people that understand stuff that you can bounce ideas off of and not feel uncomfortable or silly. Cause you know, to learn it's, that's a very important part of, of learning and to have a good, good group of people that know what they're doing is, is huge. Um, most beautiful place on earth. Where's the favorite place you've kind of traveled? You're just like breathtaking by the, the beauty of, the, of the, the, the spot. Most beautiful. God, I would have to say the PP islands in Thailand were amazing. Like there were a couple, I, we, we, we ended up renting like a boat and kind of just Island hop to the random islands out there. And they were just like things you see in postcards and movies, you could see all the way down to the bottom. There's like, you know, these rainbow fish. And I think it got shut down like um, maybe a year after I went in 2017 and they ended up shutting the beach down to let it kind of regenerate itself from like the tourism. We went at one of them, Maya, Maya Bay. Um, and they were just kind of, the beaches were getting run down because of tourism. So I was glad and fortunate that I got to see that before they, kind of let it sit for a couple of years. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's very, very cool. Um, what about, uh, this is sort of a more, it's an interesting way of wording the question, but was there a moment in your life when your consciousness turned over, but I would just sort of ask it as, was there ever an aha moment in your life? Like where you were, you were kind of figuring out you're traveling, playing poker. I don't know what I want to do. Did ever, something ever just click where, you just sort of like, all right, this is, I'm clear on what I want to do. You, you say you get working with charities, um, you know, trying to help other people do stuff. Like, did you ever something just sort of snap into place where you're like, all right, I have a good vision of like what I want to do in my life. Is it, do you have something like that, that, that stands out as like a day or you woke up and you, or you just thought about what you were doing 
and you're like, okay, this is working what I want, or no, this is what I want. Anything like that stand out for you? It's kind of, yeah. a, kind of a hard question to add, like think about on the spot. Like some people either like they have something like that or not necessarily. I, I don't know if I could even pick, peg one, but as like an event or a course or some sort of learning or something that you came across that you just really like shifted your perspective on life. I will. I mean, this is probably an unexpected answer, but I will say in like, I think I was in fifth or sixth grade. I read this book called Sophie's World. And it's a book that kind of covers a lot of the main cores in philosophy. And I think that extensively shaped like my outlook on life. But it was at such a young age that I think that going, you know, like transitioning from childhood to adulthood, it was such like an integral part of my thought process that it's I've always felt that way. But if I have to pinpoint it to a certain a uh, moment it would be like the significance of reading that book very cool yeah no that uh i have not read that book but i actually know of it and, and i've heard it mentioned in regard is very powerful so um that that's uh maybe that's worth checking out out there if you haven't heard of that or i uh, want to do that and looking back on your journey after winning more than 1.5 million um how do you look back on your journey? Do you, do you sometimes like go back through the hen and mob or certain things and like, wow, this was, this was amazing. Or just thinking kind of butterfly effect. Like say you just didn't cash that one K tournament or you min cashed or you didn't final table. You didn't take second. Line. Do you ever think about how different your, your poker journey could have been? Do you think you would have played as much or maybe just no tournaments and more cash games? How, how, how important do you think that was in your, in the, in your career? You know, I don't, Say, I wouldn't say I look like specifically at my Hendon mob, but I will say, you know, from a standpoint of like the butterfly effect, there is something I think about quite often on like how much my life would be different if this one small thing didn't happen. And it was something I actually thought was incredibly devastating at the time. So my first year of law school, you know, I made a last minute decision to go to law school and I ended up going to this private law school in Phoenix. And, you know, I went to undergrad in at U of A, which is in Tucson, about an hour and a half away from Phoenix. And so my plan was to go to this law school and then transfer back to U of A because I had missed the deadline to apply for law school there. Um, and so my whole plan this entire time was like, OK, I'm going to go and transfer to U of A, graduate from U of A. And, you know, I knew it was important to get really good grades. So I, you know, had a high GPA the entire time. I got A's and some B's. And the second semester of my first year of law school, I had this torts class. And how law school works is like most of your grade is your final. It's like 70 to 80% of your grade, sometimes 100. So, you know, I had studied torts is what I you know, work in now or my specialty, it's, it's, you know, personal injury falls in that umbrella. Um, so I felt extremely inclined in that area. And so I took this test and part of it, you know, it's on a scantron sheet and you're, you, as a law student, you have like a blind grading number, which is like a randomly assigned number so that there's no bias when the teacher is grading your test. Mm -hmm. And so I took the test, I went home and I realized when I got home, I'm like, I think I may have forgot to put like the two zeros before my number, you know, it's like a 10 block thing. And if your number is eight, you have to put two zeros first. Mm. I'm like, oh, whatever. And so I end up getting my grades back and I failed the class. And so I ended up going to talk to my teacher 
And she's like, oh, you filled your Scantron sheet wrong. And I ended up looking at it and I had gotten an A on the test, but she didn't grade it because I hadn't put those two zeros on. And so then like I went through this whole appeals process of like, you know, my test should be graded. And they end up saying, you know, it went all the way up to the dean. And she's like, it's up to the teacher. And if the teacher doesn't want to grade it, then you fail. And I was so devastated by this one fact that I didn't even apply to go to the U to go to U of A. And because of that, I ended up staying in Phoenix for two more years and then playing more poker. So had I not had I put those two zeros, I would have gone back to Tucson. I wouldn't even have been playing poker. It, it is funny to think like you could really say about anything though, the but like the butterfly effect, but or, or kind of like how life is different. And you meet someone, you go out at night, you don't like I have friends that you know I've dragged out in Vegas to go out and like they meet their then wife uh, out, like you know, they didn't want to go out or like you know, whatever. You could say it's about so many things, but it's so crazy to think like an instance or a, a little event or something could change the whole trajectory of your life. And, and, and if you really like look at it, uh, when you do start thinking about kind of the events and what has to happen for certain things to happen, it's like, it's pretty crazy, you know, like meeting someone, having babies, starting a family or poker wise, like it's tournament score. Yeah. You know, how many times do people say they weren't going to play a tournament or, and they hop in and they win or, or like whatever, right? Like there's just so many times you just don't really know uh, what that might be, but it is, it is fun to kind of pinpoint certain events in your life that, that are, that are magical like that. Um, all right, let's take a few, few, uh, more, what about poker study? So, you know, I think you, you sort of alluded to, you didn't know what big blinds were at the beginning in tournaments, you get second. So you have some natural ability. Of course you have to run well, but you know what you're doing and you have a good feel. And as some people mention you that your style works well for tournaments, what do you do for studying? Do you do PO solver? Is it a group of friends? Do you take courses? Do you watch videos? Uh, you, what is your, how do you improve your poker game? So I really mostly do courses. I do the razor edge and some run at once and the videos on there. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and I have done like some solver, but I feel like it's not really, it's a lot more difficult to apply live, you know, like, and I, as I was playing online, I understood the significance of that, but for what I think my strengths are, I don't apply it as much as I think the general population does. And I think a lot of people take for granted the, the basic premise of solvers that is that your opponent is rational and poker is with humans, not computers. So unless you're playing on like an extremely high level, people make decisions based on emotion, especially live. And for me, like in my game, I know that. And I use that to subtly manipulate the action. You know, like if I can tap into someone's emotion left or right, and I know it's going to affect how they make decisions, then I'm going to do that. And so that's like a totally different arena than solvers because solvers don't take that into consideration. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. What's a memorable hand? Do you have one that stands out? We got Craig Leonard asking, do you want an amazing beat, amazing royal flush over quad? Did you ever hit a bad beat jackpot? Like, give me a hand that's like just you just like still can't believe to this day or just either a bat, you know, you got so lucky in a big spot or so unlucky uh, deep in a, in a tournament, anything that really just like one hand you could give me good and give me a good and bad just because I don't want to, well, you know, let's give good and bad. Yeah. Well, the bad is obviously the main event that we talked about the 10, eight hand. I like, that's the most horrifying, like that. Th I can't even think about that hand because it was so terrible. So that's the worst. Um, the best hand I would say, 
I was in the Lucky Hearts tournament. It was against Steve Carp, who's a friend of mine. We were deep. There was maybe like 70 players left of this tournament that I ended up getting third. Um, I had, I think I had Pocket Kings against Ace King. And he flopped an ace with the flush draw. And so I only had one out. And then I spiked it on the turn and I had a hold and I held. So that was like insane. I don't know what about that hand, but it not only was it a massive pop, but like the luck that I felt I had to win that hand was like. Wait, you, you had kings and he had ace king? Yeah. And he hit an ace, but it was like all spades and he had like. Oh, the king. Yeah. That's so crazy. That's actually. I hit this exact same exact situation where I had Kings all in pre to ace King ace flop King turn picked up the, the, he picked up the flush draw in like one of the biggest spots I've ever had deep, you know, in a, a huge tournament and the exact same, I like got banked and dead and then I got hit and then I still had to fade. And it was just like exact hand. Kings yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's wild. That's uh, you know, like yeah. peeling it all slow. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, and so, so intense. Uh, do you prefer live or online? If you could, if you could uh, pick one, you know, to, to do, let's just say the same lions and stuff, like same, not, same money you could win. It's not, it's not close. I don't really like playing online. Honestly, it's it, for some reason, the beats feel so much worse and it's for so less money, but it's like, it feels like you're the highs aren't as high and the lows are way worse in my opinion. And I don't play that much online. But I also don't like the fact that when you play online, it's extremely difficult to separate like normalcy from playing poker because it blends so much. It's so easy to be at home and play like all day and then you have no concept of reality. Or that happened to me, at least when I was like trying to stream and play. It was just like the days were kind of blending together and like I never really left the chair and I I don't. That doesn't make me feel good. I right. like that when I play live, I can go play live. And when I'm done, I leave right. and I do something else. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. You know, there's pros and cons to both, but I agree like live poker. It's kind of cool. You get to go to these different stops. There's like dinners, there's breaks, you get fresh air, you're with friends, you talk to people uh, live, you know, or online there's advantages to, to getting to play more tournaments. There's not the travel. You save a lot of time. But you're right. There's something also it does losing online and taking beats and stuff are, are just like there's a lot more collisions. It's faster. Um, and it just sort of uh, it is a different vibe. Right. There's 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 pros and cons. But the live there's nothing like live poker and there's nothing like live going deep. You know, you, when you make that final table at a WPT, when you when you go deep in the WSOP, it's like, you know, you're touching the chips, the room, you feel the energy. It's just there's 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 not really replaceable for that type of uh, emotion and feeling. So. Yeah, I would agree with you um, on that. What do you like to do outside of, uh, I guess, poker gambling? What are some hobbies you like to do? What do, what do uh, you do free time? Um, well, I d- obviously am in, you know, significantly involved in the foundation, which I love doing. Um, I like to spend time with my family, really spend time with my friends, go to the movies. I haven't been able to do that, really. I love to eat, cook and go out to eat. That's like a probably my biggest hobby is food um, and travel. Um, and I would say that's it, really. And and is this uh, – let's see. Man, there's so many good questions here. Let's take a couple more, Kelly. I know you got to get going. What about uh, sports? What's your favorite sport to play and watch? 
I'm not really big into watching sports, but I will say since the pandemic and a lot of this is Landon's influence, I've been a hu- I've become a huge MMA fan. We watch UFC every Saturday, like the entire card. Wow. And I love it. Love it. That is, uh, it's an intense, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things too, that you, it's, it's similar to poker where it's like, all right, these two guys get in a ring or, or women and what, what could really happen? You know, it's like they fight, they hit, but it's sort of like poker where it's situations are never the same. You just don't know, like, is it going to be a one second knockout? Is it going to be a flying kick or a knee or, you know, is it going to go the distance? So it's kind of funny where it's like, you, you don't really think it could be that different, but it is every single instance or match, or just when you sit down at a poker tournament, you know, how many times you just don't get the same hand, the same situation versus a different opponent, the strategy that goes into it. So you know, I kind of, I kind of feel like it's similar in that sense where it feels like kind of like it should be so similar all the time, but it's just always different, which is, uh, which is fun. I mean, you could say that about a lot of sports, a lot of situations, right? Cause it's like, why is it, why is this game so fun? But it, it's just, if you love it and if you, you see the art and the, the, the strategy behind it, you can really start getting into something. Now I feel that way about golf. Like I think golf is so boring, but I start playing a bit. I get like, it's similar to poker where to improve, it takes a lot, you know, go to 120 to hundred, but like in poker, same thing. You could go from being terrible to like, not so terrible to like, okay, to winning, but like to get to be like the best or to really get better, you're always able to improve. And I, and I think that's fun. Like poker, it's that game's also changing. Like what, what's happening now in one or two years, it's you, the population tendencies will be different based on the information that's out there, based on what people are feeling, learning. Uh, and you always kind of have to adjust. And that's why I think that it's such a great game and it's just always going to be around because like the, there's always people making adjustments and learning new things. Um, all right. Uh, let's take a couple. Literally, let's do one more. I'm gonna. I, I know because I, I said I'm not gonna. I, I feel bad because I know you do have some stuff going on here. But there's a lot of good questions. Uh, what about a satisfying bluff? Have you ever been in like a live bluff in a big spot where you're like holding your breath, like literally, like wow, this is like this is so savage that I can't believe I'm even going for this, but I'm going for it. Uh, give me, give me like a bluff that you've done either on TV or in a live live tournament in a big spot. God, I, there's so many, there's so many, I love to bluff and I like, you know, I just, a lot of it's ego, but a lot of it's also like the like challenge of doing it. Um, but I would probably say just off the top of my head, the most infamous one is, which is actually on stream. It was the ladies night poker night in America, um, with Lily Coletta. We were playing the seven deuce, <laughs> the seven deuce game. Yeah. I'm in the small blind. She opens and, or maybe someone opened earlier and then she three bet and I four bet. She five bet and I ripped like 10 K. It was like insane. And she ended up folding ace king suited, which I was like, wow. But we like, we were going back and forth, like talking and I was pretty nervous, but like also was like, whatever. And I showed it and I was like, that's awesome. That's a pretty crazy lay down. Yeah, for sure. Especially with that game. Got to add a little extra juice for that. And even so it's ace king suited, you know, uh, run it. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, what, what about the, that's something we haven't talked about either is the shows. How is that? Like, do you enjoy the poker after dark poker night in America? Do you, does that give you some extra excitement to play in a televised sort of arena have fun with, you know, people, you know, recognizable faces and then have some fun with that. Is that, do you really enjoy it? Or is that like, all right, it's happening. I'm going to go, I'm going to join, but doesn't, doesn't get you excited. It's kind of a double-edged sword. Like I like it, but it kind of takes away the veil of having, you know, people not be able to see your cards. 
So I think long-term it's kind of a disadvantage, but again, like I know my dad loves seeing me play on TV and gets so excited that it makes me want to do it. So he can like send it to all his friends and say, Oh, look, my daughter's on TV. And you know, he just loves it so much that that like kind of motivates me to play for his benefit. And, you know, my family get to see me play in situations that they wouldn't normally see. So yeah, that's that is it's fun. I, the cash game dynamic so interesting. Like, I just feel like there's a it's like a science to figure out how people adjust that too, right? It's kind of like people you know don't want to get bluffed. They also get to see it later. So like, there's also that. So it's kind of I guess balances, but it's an interesting dynamic. And people definitely play differently uh, on TV, I think. And then sort of a. Uh, fun to sort of figure that out too and how, who's going to do what and you know it's uh it, it, it is cool to see that which show do you enjoy the most playing on you play a lot on poker night in america i feel like or you you have a fair amount god i mean i feel like it that was eons ago because i haven't played poker in like a year but live poker but you know i think they're all fun the the, the most the funnest you know tv televised event was the main event on espn that was the most memorable but the cash games they kind of all blend together i think the poker the poker go studio are fun yeah it's uh it it is cool to see the production carry cats poker go uh all all what they got going on poker central they they do a lot and it it seems like the media and the coverage has gotten better there's better production value and a lot of exciting formats and stuff happening so uh it's gonna be it's gonna be cool to get back to the to the live poker world um what's your what's your what what stop you looking forward to most coming up here once you get once everything's turned back on which is one like wow like you can make you kind of take it for granted i feel like in the last 10 years consistently a lot of the same stops but what what's one maybe that you just are like wow this is like going to feel good to be back and, and you just feel comfortable at i mean i think that easily is the world series hopefully it runs next summer i mean i feel like we'll all be like have a sigh of relief that you know we I, like you said, we take it for granted and, you know, there's pros and cons, but like the, the pros are so significantly highlighted when it's missing. And so having this summer without the world series was weird. Um, so it'll be nice to have it back hopefully next summer. Yeah. It's uh, it, it is, uh, it's going to be nice that I, I miss it too, for it just kind of one of those things you take for granted a bit and like you get there, but I think that's the thing. People are going to be so jazzed up to be back. It's going to feel good. And just, uh, it, it's sort of like, I, people are going to like genuinely miss each other at this point. Like social interactions kind of it's been like weird. Like it's like a year or two, you're going to see people like, and you generally like, wow, like what's going on. You don't, you know, it's going to be, it's going to almost be bizarre uh, to see the, uh, the WSOP, um, yeah, I think the numbers are gonna be huge. I really do. I just think stuff's gonna be like content, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. What about uh crypto? What's your thoughts on Bitcoin and, and all this? Do you think it's good? That's poker in general, sort of immersed in it. I think it's uh just sort of one of those things people understand risk and and like the action factor of it. Do you do you like that Bitcoin, you know, it can drop 80% and it goes up 10% a day, or are you more like you said you mentioned investments and stuff. Do you, do you like more of the stock? All right, Saturday or Friday at 5 p.m., the market's closed. I get to relax. Or do you like the crypto aspect where it's just always moving and bouncing? And, and what are your thoughts on crypto in general? I like both. I think you should, your, your portfolio should be diverse in your risk. So I like to have like a stable risk, moderate risk, and high risk. And I definitely am um, invested in cryptocurrency, not just Bitcoin. I have some altcoins as well, I have Ethereum. Um, I, I got into it around, 
like significantly like 2017 I like bought a lot like right before things got crazy and then like dropped I bought like a bunch of ethereum like early 2017 and some bitcoin um and I just you know when things got messy I just kind of held on to it so I still have everything that I had invested in initially so it's been nice to kind of just hang out and see it you know, do well. And it's funny to hear my mom, you know, like I was trying to explain to her cryptocurrency like years ago and she was like, don't do that by gold. <laughs> and now she's sending me like CNN articles on cryptocurrency. It's kind of funny. I'm like, mom, I told you about Bitcoin years ago. You don't need to send me. Articles. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause uh, it does feel more mainstream now. Of course, PayPal has it in there now. And you know, the, the, the banks and big, bigger business, it just feels like Listen, Bitcoin's very volatile. It does feel more real this time because, like, I remember back, uh, you know, we we have been kind of just in our face about it with poker, whether it's the sites or depositing or people taking payments with it and using it. But it sort of uh, does feel more sturdy at this point. So I think it's going to sort of uh, sort of level off slash just sort of go up. But I mean, who knows, right? It's uh, it's volatile and uh, it's definitely interesting. Um, Best poker memory. What's your favorite memory in poker at the table? Whether it was a score, a result, was it the tag team just because it was with Lonnie and fun? Give me like a memory that's like one of your favorites in your career. Best poker memory. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, there's a lot, but I'll say, you know, the the initial WSOP main event run was pretty wild. Like, I think that has to be, even though it was like the worst bust out situation for me, that was the most heartbreaking. That whole experience was like really special to me because it really gave me the confidence to be like, okay, this isn't just a fluke. I didn't just final table lucky hearts. I didn't just win, you know, the LAPC, one of the opener events. I didn't just fluke, get second place in the 2013 state championship. Like this is consistency and at the consistency at the highest level, you know, cause especially with tournaments, it's like you want to have confidence, but you also want to be reasonable and realistic. Like how much of this is luck? How much of this is skill? How much of this can I repeat? Um, and you kind of, if you're, if you're lucid and logical, you are always kind of guessing where you fall in between like luck and skill and, you know, how much is on your side. So to have that final like finish, even though I will, I recognize my mistakes I made, I realized that I had the ability. It's, it, it's, yeah. Um, and, and what do you believe, what do you believe is the most the most important factor of being successful in poker. Give me that, give me that, uh, that, that intangible or, or attribute, I should say that, that is maybe intangible or not. What do you think it's to be a good poker player based on your personal experience and what you've seen over your career? What do you think is that? Like, is it bankroll management? Is it reading people? Is it uh, fearlessness? What's, what do you think is like takes to be a, a winning one of the best poker players? I would say it's um, emotional stability, adaptability, and something I like to call ape, which is appropriately placed aggression. I think those are the top three like secret sauce factors. That's that's I've never heard it like that. I've never heard of put ape. I like that. I'm gonna use that uh, appropriate uh, uh, appropriate placed aggression. All right, that's nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that, Kelly. I'll quote you on that. Did you make that up or did you call, did you hear that from someone? Yeah, I did actually make that up. I have a um, consulting business where I give speeches. I've done speeches for the American Bar Association. I work with women's leadership groups. I work with 
companies and corporations on how to apply skills that you utilize in poker in your day-to-day in your career. So I kind of came up with that when I was creating PowerPoints and stuff like, how do I explain this? Like you need to be aggressive at the right time in the right place. So I created this acronym ape. So feel free to use it. Okay. I will use that. And I will, I will reference that. All right, let's take two more and then we're going to do the $111 giveaway. And of course we do appreciate uh, Kelly taking the time. I know she's over. It's getting late. I don't even know what time. It's probably, I forget the difference. It's six hours over there. It's uh, maybe dinner time. I hope I'm not like messing up your dinner plans or something, but um, you know, again, we are prone. We got a great charity. We, we explained the land and Lucas that's going from trying to raise hundred K that's going to be on Saturday or Friday, 7 PM. I'm going to stream it. Kelly, you can follow her. She's going to be involved doing stuff. Maybe who's, is there anyone I'm seeing it? I've never done an actual virtual. I've seen some of the ones online. I played on turn. I've never actually done one where it's like this. So this will be a cool experience and to see how that works. And uh, probably really good for charities that are starting to move to this format, especially during the pandemic where they normally maybe have a yearly uh, tournament or some kind of charity aspect that aren't doing it. This would, this sounds like it's a very innovative and, uh, and a, and a good thing for people or, or groups to be able to do this and, and, and raise some money and have fun with the group format. So have you ever done one or participate or is this an experiment for you? No. So this is how I actually decided to come, you know, we kind of came to this concept together because I had participated in this event hosted by Poker for Life before for charity. Mm-hmm. So I, I, participated in the tournament actually made the final table but it was so much fun with the zoom and you get to interact with everybody and you know you get to see people you don't know and it's like a simulation of live poker online so i really like that it was the closest we could get to play live so i'm hoping that everyone feels the same way and everyone has it's just going to be a blast like regardless of whether you win money or not you'll have a good time for sure that's awesome. Uh, some people want to ask about bluffs. They know you're crazy. The best bluff you ever made. We just talked about it. So there's another person asking that. What about a poker idol? Is there anyone that you grew up? You were just like, man, I love the way they play. Uh, I like I like how they carry themselves. Anyone you when you started watching or getting into poker that you, you, you sort of gravitated to or just like always put a smile on your face when you saw them play? Yeah. So like I said, I didn't really follow poker before I started playing, but once I started playing the the circuits and the, the tournament schedules that, you know, the regulars played in, there were a couple guys that stuck out that I was like, I like, you know, like I like how he plays. And the first guy I can think of that really, I wanted to emulate his style was Barry Hutter. Like I played with Barry Hutter and I liked his table presence i liked his decision making i liked how aggressive he was i liked how scared he made his opponents like you could feel how intimidated people were and i loved that because it wasn't like a cocky you know he didn't sit at the table like i'm better than you he just owned it and he like dominated the table and i loved that i was like i want to be that guy so i know that a lot of my style i kind of you know, I naturally am kind of that way, but I emulated a lot of the things he did. And the second person that I remember playing with that I really was like, he's going to be amazing. And I love everything about his game is Alex Foxen, who's a good friend of mine. And like, I was friends with him before, you know, he really blew up. And I remember playing with him, like, you're going to be amazing. You can just tell like his table presence, his decision-making, like he puts people in so many tough spots. And I love that. I love making people be in fear of you at the table. 
Yeah, those got both. You're right. I definitely I, I remember playing with Alex too back three, four years ago live. And I was just like, man, you could just tell like every he was really engaged in what was going on. He he was into the live read. Uh, you know, he he just yeah, he you could tell he knew what he was doing. And actually Barry Hutter, that was uh, pretty impressive looking at his results because I knew he had a really good resume, but I think it I mean he says he he's he's got almost six million with not over a three hundred and forty-five K score. That's uh it's pretty, pretty consistent, pretty, pretty strong. So definitely two, two strong players. Um, what, how, what's your, how about your boyfriend's uh, poker ability? Does he, is he like in a play in the tournament? Does he like poker? Does he understand it? Can you talk to him about poker? Is he just kind of like, all right, I know a flush beats a straight, but you know, what's his ability for poker? Well, that actually is how we met is through poker. He had messaged me on Instagram and like wanted to play poker together. And he was in um, Vegas, um, last summer not this prior summer but the summer of the world series for the nba summer league and he played poker casually and like had seen some world series posts on instagram about me and like messaged me and then he ended up coming to watch me play the main event and i ended up going deep this year too or 2019 i got like i don't know 500 something or whatever i made it to like day four or five but he swept me like for three days consecutively and we like instantly bonded and so since then i've kind of helped him you know mold his poker game and he actually was did really well he made like two or three final tables um in six months and i was kind of like coaching him and helping him with the tournament poker because he was like me and didn't know anything about tournaments or icm or big blind so you know, it was kind of interesting to like teach him all of that and see his success and, you know, support him in that way. So that was really cool. So he, he's, he's gone from like playing just for fun to understanding, you know, ICM and, you know, he's, he's done exceptionally well in a short period of time. That's cool. It's gotta be a little hard to play tournaments for him too, especially like multi-day ones, but I guess during like off season or when there's not games going on or practice, he can do it, but it's still, it's hard if you're playing like a two, three, four day event, right? I guess to, to, to be able to play a lot of uh, tournaments. Cause you, you just usually don't probably doesn't have that, that many like days where you just can be all day playing, but that's, uh, that's, that's, that's fun. And that's, that is nice, right? It's like to, to have someone that can understand what you're doing and, and, and care about it and sort of relate. That's, that is cool. Cause it's like a little trickier if they don't, you know, like, like my wife, for example, doesn't, she knows the basic fundamentals, but it's tough, you know, like basically like, Oh, you get knocked out. They don't care if you knock out Kings to ace four all in pre, like you're just out, you know? So if at least they can understand there's, there's skill and, and, and it's, you know, they, they don't give you advice. Uh, they, they understand the, the art of the game. It's, it's nice. So that's, that's very cool that you guys get to uh, discuss and, and sort of, you can be a teacher as well as it always helps to teach too. Like when you kind of review hands, talk hands and, and also talk to people that are sort of beginner and coming up, it's also interesting, right. To hear their thought process, think about how they're thinking in the game and what's going on. So uh, that, that, uh, that sounds pretty cool. Um, all right. Well, let's just cover again one more time, Kelly, the charity event, we're going to be on Friday, 7 p.m. You can see the website. We put it here. Uh, you can donate. You can win some prizes, I guess. You can also bid on prizes to help raise money. The The name of the charity there is Zero. Uh, LandonLucasFoundation.org. And you can see trying to go from zero to 100. And we are going to give away a $111 ticket as a matter of fact. So anything else you want to touch on before we do this this giveaway here? We covered a lot. Two hours and a half, Kelly. Thank you for that time. It's a long podcast. Um, guys, I, hope, I, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, you know, I'm excited. I'm glad you're doing your giveaway. I'm also doing a giveaway on my page. Um, I'll pin the tweet after I get off the 
I don't know, podcast because I didn't think of that. You're so smart social media wise, Jeff. But um, if help, I've helped. Trust me, I'm not. But I have people. Tweeted have a chance to win a two hundred fifty dollar buying to the um, to the event on Friday. And if you've already bought in, you get a chance to get a rebuy or add on. So retweet that for your opportunity. We're gonna draw a name on Friday, and we hope to see you there. That's awesome. Well, I will be there. I will be streaming it. And right now we're going to do this $111 uh, retweet. So this is a pretty cool little feature. This uh, buddy of mine, actually one of the last guys on the podcast, he he has this uh, retweet um, app, which is I like better than the competition agency one. So we're doing this right now. Uh, we're going to load it up and uh, I'll let you, let's see, hold on. You tell me. To start one to stop. Yeah, I'm going to download right now. You just tell, you count it down. Someone's going to win this $111 ticket. Okay. So just tell me when, and I'll and I'll click and go through. It's uh, I think we got it loaded up. Can you go now? Oh, oh, I didn't hear you. Sorry. Yeah, now there it is loading. There's a lot. I think you might have set close to a record, and we're gonna load it up here. And we did have uh, I think like 200 around 200 people eligible. So I'm sorry, 149 eligible retweets. And here's a list of who is. And so now it's locked in. It's over, guys. If you didn't retweet, you could still retweet and get the word out, and people could come and watch the the replay. But so this is. Loaded up, and now we're locked in. This is uh, ready to go, and now we can officially pick from this list. So one more time, Kelly. Tell me when, and we're going to do it. Ready now. Now, boom. Choose a winner. I'm sure it's going, and it is It is rolling. So we're going to let this – oh, is that it right there? It looks like Lusun52 just won the $111 ticket. Congrats to them. I will send a message, and let's see. They are – Oh, there it is. This guy's a retweet firing away. He's got a lot of tweets there. He did retweet, follow the instructions. Congrats to this person. I don't know if it's a female or male. They got a cartoon picture there. We're going to send them the ticket. We'll send them a congrats. And Kelly, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'll see you on Friday. Let me know about the Zoom live call or whatnot, and I'll be live and maybe call in on Discord or uh, during the thing if you have if you have time. I don't know how that works with the Zooms and if I can be on stream and be in there, but whatever. We'll have fun. It'll be a good cause. I'll be playing it, and I appreciate you letting me know and inviting me, and, and we'll, uh, we'll see you there. And best of luck uh, in Cyprus and on the tables and whatever else you got going on. Sounds like you're very busy and having fun. So thank you for the time and we'll see you soon. Perfect. I'll see you guys Friday. Thanks, Jeff. Awesome. All right, guys, that's Kelly Minkin podcast. Number one of seven, giving her a follow Instagram, Twitter, all the good social medias. And again, the foundation going on Friday, uh, tune in for that. And we will, we will see you guys for another podcast next week. I'll get the schedule out. Thanks so much. And thank you to Kelly. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with party poker. Go to partypoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.